nobody's talking. There's usually a little bit of preamble before we do this. Is he stuffing your face with a baked potato? Is it a baked salad. potato? No. no, what's on the other side? That's not salad. Oh, it's lasagna. All right. <laughs> He's trying to sound healthy. It's fun of the fact that we could see your oh, food on the camera. Yeah. It's a giant Maybe. thing of lasagna. Awesome. <laughs> but it's got a salad, so it's healthy. Yeah. Healthy-ish. Healthy-ish is all that matters. I can't understand why I haven't lost any weight. I've added a salad to every meal. <laughs> <laughs> what do you put on the salad, Christy? That's where the uh, the actual problem well, you know, regular salad stuff. Veggies, lettuce, Various meats and cheeses. Eight there pounds of cheese. Yeah, eight <laughs> pounds of cheese. It's a whole feta. It's a whole f- piece of like you know feta in a jar or a thing. Package. Is, package. Just put all that on one salad, right? That's yeah, fine. That's, yeah, those, those, those are silver uh, just, single serving uh, containers. You're. Uh, I could hear your heart trying to beat yeah. from here. Oh my god! Is that? Did you eat a whole roll of cheese? <laughs> a whole wheel of cheese? I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Your heart hasn't stopped. Good for you. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, welcome back to Dance Robot Dance. Uh, I'm Mark, and I'm here with Tim. Hello. And Christy. Hello. Uh, how you guys doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty you know, good. This days. It's been days. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's, we are recording super early this week. Usually we record on a Thursday. Today is a Tuesday. Uh, American Thanksgiving is coming up. Tim has plans. Yes. So uh, we're hosting Canadian or American Thanksgiving this year. Yeah. Cause that's more that important than our house. <laughs> <laughs> the weird American Thanksgiving timing in like late November or mid to late November. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, weird, weird to you. Not yours is the weird one to Americans. But it's harvest time. It and you're Canadian. Any- harvest yeah. time is later in the U.S. It doesn't make any sense what you're saying right now. <laughs> also, but Christopher Columbus is a dick. We shouldn't be celebrating him. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they change Columbus Day to something else just recently? Uh, certain places have changed it to like um, Native People's Day or something along those lines. Well, only until Trump takes over. Yeah, exactly. And then, then it goes back. I've already seen people posting like, "Yeah, we're gonna be able to say Merry Christmas again." Like nobody was stopping you from nobody saying was that stopping before. you. Before you obnoxious that. motherfucker. Obama said we can't say Christmas because he's a Muslim. Yeah, he's, a, he's like, no, he's a, shut up. He's a secret Muslim. My favorite reoccurring John Stewart Daily Show bit was like the War on Christmas that came up every year. Yeah, every year it was the same stupid bullshit. Yeah, uh, I miss you, John Stewart. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's start light. Uh, let's do Geek of the Week, if you guys have anything, since we recorded like four days ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, since we recorded last, I have uh, started the next game in my epic Legend of Zelda um, playthrough. Play nice. So I've uh, started uh, Wind Waker HD. This is my second time playing Wind Waker, but my first time playing the HD version. Uh, it's which beautiful. I, still is, got, yeah. I have it downloaded. I haven't played it. I should uh, do that. We bought the the console that actually came with it preloaded because um, Alicia mm-hmm. really wanted the like Zelda edition console. So like our um, uh, our gamepad actually has like the runes and stuff on it. Oh, so oh, cool! Yeah. Yeah. Is that the is that is that a is the console embossed too? Like, is uh, I don't think the console is. I think it's just the gamepad. But the oh. gamepad ha- is like uh, black with like the gold embossed uh, sigils or whatever on it. Runes. Cool. How far are you? Um, not very far. I'm like still on like Windfall Island, like the basically you know village where you, uh, yeah, start. Yeah, where you start. You'll have to let me know because I know they've they've 
talked about how like that version of the game really kind of like somehow cuts down on the amount of like bullshit sailing you have to do. Mm-hmm. Can I just say how nice it is to be able to swear on a podcast again? <laughs> <laughs> Christy and I did a guest spot on this week's Geek with Kids. And it was really fun. It was fun. It was fun. It was fun, but we, uh, I definitely caught myself swearing more than I was. Oh my was. gosh, you swore so much. Oh, come on. I wasn't that bad. Some of the time I didn't talk, like when you guys were talking about Hamilton. It's so good, though. Fair <laughs> yeah, the, the, I, I, did, I didn't swear all those times that I wasn't speaking. Yeah, all the times that I wasn't talking, <laughs> I didn't swear. It was, it was awesome fun. That's how you know Mark's cursing. His mouth is open. My mouth is open and moving. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Geek of the Week, Christy. Um, boof, I'm trying to think what was the geekiest thing I did this week. It's not a, it's, the week is but young and fresh. <laughs> um. This weekend, maybe. Yeah, this weekend. Well, I saw, well, we already talked about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we it? recorded late last week, too, so it was, um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been, it hasn't been that long since we've actually sat down and talked. No, um, oh gosh, what have I, d- I got back into Pokemon Go. Um. What level are you? Uh, I don't know. Tw- I haven't gotten on a new level in like months. I'm at <laughs> 23 or something. Yeah. But I, uh, I think, I think the geeky thing that oh, I know what I did. I watched a whole bunch of ridiculous conspiracy theory YouTube videos just to like <laughs> see the weirdness. Don't judge how I live my life. Right. <laughs> but it's like I, I watched what it was. It was like um. The top seven things the WikiLeaks released that the government doesn't want you to see. And it yeah, was like... Because if the government didn't want you to see it, it would still be posted on Facebook. I know, YouTube, right? I know. But, like, the comment section was so funny because you'd think it would be about WikiLeaks, but it was all about how crappy Obama is. They usually are. <laughs> on a conspiracy theory website, it was perfect. I was just like, oh... Can't, this is real. <laughs> These are real people. These aren't yeah, bots. Unfortunately, those are those are Tim's neighbors. So, mm-hmm. no, my neighbors are black. Oh, well, they have their own set of conspiracy theories, don't they? That's true. There you go. Yeah, that's too. It's weird though, because the the username like, uh, like who was commenting the most. Yeah, no, <laughs> the username that's commenting the most was I'm Tim's next door neighbor. <laughs> five five two six. <laughs> That uh, makes me feel, yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, it makes me feel weird. <laughs> so that's why I'm always feeling watched. Yeah, it's actually just me. Yeah, well, there's also the NSA, but yeah, there yeah, is that. That's true. That's just low. I think they're watching all of us now, regardless of where we are. So mm-hmm. I don't think it, we actually rolling, matters. Rolling, yeah, when I rolling. when I apply for my uh, citizenship, they'll roll out all these episodes of Dance Robot Dance and be like, "Wait a minute." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a game star president. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad you have to come home. <laughs> then they'll kick you out. You can come home to us, Tim. Well, that's Canada. more or less the plan once I get my citizenship anyways, so Good. it would be better if I could actually get it. <laughs> we miss you and would want you to come up to Canada. Come home to us. Come home, Tim. Come home. All right. So the geekiest thing I did this week, um, I'm going to embarrass Christy. I went and saw Christy's improv show on Saturday night. <laughs> You did, and you're a dick. I, yeah. You so, actually tell the story, asshole. 
Well, first of all, I just want to point out that this is maybe the fourth time Christy and I have been like physical in physical proximity to each other, and it's probably the first time that I remember because I don't remember the first time we met. Oh, I <laughs> uh, even though there's video evidence of it, even though there's video evidence out there of it, uh, <laughs> she was she just blended right into the camera. Yeah, pretty much. Just hiding behind the camera. <laughs> I'm a walking tripod. <laughs> um, Only I had is, a penis. Yeah, I have a, I have a buddy whose uh, nickname is Tripod. You look nothing like him. Oh. Do our penises look the same? <laughs> <laughs> probably. They're probably both tiny. So <laughs> How dare you? My penis is huge. What were you saying? <laughs> what I was going to say is that uh, I didn't realize exactly how minuscule Christy is. So I got to stand next to Christy. <laughs> and she's five foot nothing. So... Um, yeah, Christy's super short. I didn't know. I figured she was at least average height. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Like tiny, tiny little girl. Um, the big. other thing, the best thing uh, is that before the show, they put out these little notes and it was all based around social media. So they asked for Facebook statuses. Christy's so angry at me. <laughs> um, so I had a bit, bit of time. So I was having, I had a beer with Mark number two before the show started. And I was sitting there trying to think what to write on the thing. And he was like, you know what to write. And I was like, oh, right. It was his idea? Kinda. (gasps) (laughs) So I wrote Alf. (laughs) But then we were sitting there for a while. (laughs) I don't know if Christy actually saw the piece of paper that I had. but So I wrote Alf. And then I was sitting there for a little while. And when I have a piece of paper and a pencil in front of me, I will start to doodle. So I doodled a little (laughs) Alf on the piece of paper. A little Alf. He was the entire page. Well, the piece of paper was only like maybe four inches by four inches. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I did it a little Alf and I put it in the box and uh, I waited. So I went into the, the little playhouse that they had set up, which is it was nice and cozy. Um, Sat in the back corner in the dark like a creeper. Goddamn right. <laughs> he didn't want to be seen there. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want people to recognize that I was there. How dare um, you? <laughs> Also, how how is it possible for me to hide? I'm six foot five. <laughs> it's impossible to miss me. You slouch. Yeah, maybe. Um, anyway, halfway through the show, they get to the point where they're using the little pieces of paper for cues. And Christy's partner, whose name I can't remember right now, even though you introduced me to her. Adriana. Adriana. She had pulled the elf card and <laughs> said elf while she's standing right next to Christy. Christy looks over at the piece of paper <laughs> and immediately glares up into the corner where I'm sitting for <laughs> a solid seconds in anger and abject terror because she doesn't know what to do anymore. And I com- apparently, this is what she told me after, completely pulled her out of her game for the rest of the night. <laughs> I was so shitty after. Because, no, it's not even that, okay, it's not even that can Alf... I finish my, can I finish my story? Fine. Even better is... The next card Adriana pulls is from Mark number two, and it says the never-ending story. I was going to say Falcor. (laughs) (laughs) So Christy gets, like, hit twice and just glares at both of us. I was was so close to puking. (laughs) Just got double-teamed by (laughs) big-mouthed Falcor and Elf. If oh, someone that's... had drawn Totoro, I would have. I just would have like vomited. I almost went everywhere. and got another card. But Everybody I didn't forgets have time. that I'm far more afraid. I'm never gonna. Totoro's number one. 
No. What? Uh, <laughs> no. Alf. Let's oh. focus on Alf. He's the worst. Yeah, Alf is the one that she's learned to deal with through the podcast. I remember the halcyon days of uh, Liverlips McGraw. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good start to the podcast, guys. Yeah, we're doing great, man. Uh, She's still eating, though. I know. She is. She's not going to stop eating. You're (laughs) fine, Christy. Christy, you're fine. Oh. I had to tell the story on the podcast. I know. Either way, I I laughed very hard at Christy's and her group's (laughs) performance. They were pretty funny, so. Thank you. And then we had a nice little, like, we had a drink after. We had a good time. We had a great time. We went out to this, like, um... I wish you were there, Tim. But we went out to this place called the Winchester. Yeah, and, I've been um, Winchester. Yeah, in Dundas, and um, had great pub food and good talks and fun t- fun times. Met the scariest doll of my life. It was just this little animatronic doll. <laughs> Did you take a picture of it. I took a video. Oh, you didn't? Uh, can you send it to me so I can grab a screen cap and use it as the thing for the episode? <laughs> sure. But it's it's in the video. I don't know if I want to say the whole thing. I turned the camera on myself at one point because I was a little drunk. And I was just like, this is what, this is how people die. And like, Christy, Christy had one drink and was loaded. I so. had one and a half. Thank oh. you. And it was amaretto and then schnapps. Goddamn. You rummy, you. <laughs> I know. I'm pretty much a lush. <laughs> but yeah, no. Okay, I'm glad that was your geek of the me 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 me. Well, I had to tell the story, so I figured I'd use it as part of our. I thing. guess. Like, honestly, since Friday, I've done aside from what did I else did I do? Edit the podcast. Yeah, I edited podcast. That's pretty <laughs> much yeah. <laughs> and recorded another podcast. And recorded another one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right, so we'll get into the news really quick. There wasn't a lot because it's been like three days since we recorded. <laughs> um, the The number one thing that I have on my list is uh, Kevin Feige was reported as saying that adding the X-Men to the MCU would be impossible. Um, I don't know how I feel about that because I figure you could always rewrite it and get them in there or start them late or something. But what do you guys think? Would you even want the X-Men in there? It's tricky now that they've put in mutant characters as non-mutants like yeah. uh, Quicksilver and uh, and Scarlet Witch in particular so though that would definitely take some explaining um retcon yeah I, I mean I feel like it could be done as like uh, as a as a sort of you know merge timelines or something like that kind of story I mean that's pretty regular in comics but maybe a little too much for the might be a hard sell for the mainstream audience. Yeah, yeah, that's but what I'm thinking. At this point, we're watching Flash. Like, how many people are watching Flash a week? And that's like, they merge in timelines all over the goddamn place. So This is true, yeah. So Although those Marvel movies are a bit bigger business than the, the DC, EU, TV, whatever, the yeah. Flareoverse. I think they just have to make their own X-Men movie first. Incorporate the people that they've already used if they can, even if it's just cameos, and establish. I think it's doable. I would just wipe out continuity and start from scratch in the MCU. Like That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But like, re- I'm saying like, if you want to include the characters that they've already used, have them within the story, but not as like primetime players. Yeah. I think you can gradually introduce them until you have like an X-Men yeah. team that you need to like deal with as an X-Men team. But yeah. I'd say, yeah, just, just do it from the beginning. I mean, like, what does X-Men really ever care about continuity anyway? Well, seriously, 
what, what, what are we what are we talking about here? Like, and the way it really works in the M- in the MU, like in the six one six, is the X Men are always kind of off on their own, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, like they cross over here and there, and you have big characters that are parts of like main books, like but obviously, kind of, but they're like a fringe group. Yeah, but they've always been kind of a fringe group, and yeah. always had kind of their own corner of the Marvel universe to kind of inhabit. So. Yeah. I don't have a problem. I don't know. Whatever. I just think it's funny that he would be like, no, it's not possible to d- to do. I mean, it's probably impossible to get the rights back from Fox at yeah. this point, but. That might be the major motivation. He's like, well, we, it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, they say, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home. And they say, well, I don't want to fucking play with you anyways. Well, we were saying last week, they do obviously have to like work together in some way, shape or form. So. Second part, second news thing, Deadpool 2 has found its director. They've replaced Tim Miller. Um, David Like, Like, Light, I can't, I have no Leech? idea. Leech? 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 I think. Leech? Fine, we'll go with Leech. Yeah. David Leech, <laughs> uh, who directed John Wick, will be stepping into the director's chair for Deadpool 2. I think that's an excellent choice. I mean, I've only seen John Wick like once, but uh, I mm-hmm. definitely enjoyed it. And I think that the style definitely extends pretty well. Uh, uh, based on the first Deadpool movie. Yeah, I watched it this weekend again. I think uh, if you have Ryan Reynolds and those writers taking care of the comedic beats, Mm -hmm. I think you'll be good to go and let him just deal with the action. Like, everything in Deadpool was so kind of, like, relatively pedestrian in terms of, like, the direction. Like, it wasn't, like, bad or anything like that, but it wasn't like they were doing anything insane, um, given, like, what the budget was. They weren't doing crazy camera moves or anything like that throughout it, so... Well, with the um, exception of that first scene... (laughs) Yeah, but that was all CG. Like, that was yeah. barely... Yeah. I don't know. I, I sincerely doubt any of it was, like... Well, I mean, it still needed to be directed, though, but not in camera. That's why you have good previs guys, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's really what it boils down to, so... Yeah. um, But, yeah, no, I think that'll be good. I just hope it happens sooner. I just want the movie now, mainly, because yeah. <laughs> I love that first movie, so... I actually watched both those movies this weekend. I watched Deadpool on... at some point last week, and I watched John Wick on the weekend... Deadpool's great. <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen John Wick? Nope. You should watch John Wick. You've said that to me. Have I? Yeah, it was good. I reiterate that you should watch it. It's good. How do you feel about puppies, though? I love them. Why? Well, the inciting factor. Oh yeah. Oh, do they kill puppies? Well, that's what causes him to go onto his little fucking killing spree. Oh, why would you kill a dog? Because the guy's a piece of shit and needs to die, so... But that's one... So, going back to our episode last week on, like, tropes, like, one of my honorable mentions was, like, heartstring pulling, but, that like, that's one of those just overly emotionally manipulative things that I think is unnecessary, usually. That's why I don't think Marley and Me is, like, a family comedy. It's a horror flick. <laughs> uh, I've never seen that movie. It's torture porn, Tim. It's right up your alley. <laughs> no, if the torture porn, if the torture porn is watching Tim have to watch Marley and Me, <laughs> then that's probably. Did that I've make never sense? seen it, and I won't. See yeah, it. that that would that would be torturous for me. Did that track? Good. Okay. Yeah. As long as I made sense, I'm happy. <laughs> All right. Uh, Cyborg Superman on Supergirl. I don't know how I feel about this, Tim. Do you rant. know? Do you know Go anything, ahead. Mark, about sort of um, what they've done with Cyborg Superman in the Supergirl comics? 
Not recently. I don't know anything. Uh, the Cyborg Superman to me is still Hank Henshaw and the uh, Death and Return of Superman storylines. And so. that that is how I think it should have stayed. And that was an amazing character. But in sort of the uh, New 52, um, uh, the it sort of they sort of retconned that Cyborg Superman is uh, is Kara's father. Um, okay. Superman, what's his fucking name? Uh, well, that makes sense, right? Well, I mean, like his crypto, her Kryptonian father. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, Zor-El. Um, and so I can't even exact. It was a pretty convoluted way that they came about it. Like, uh, I guess that I can't even remember anymore. Like, there's still some aspect of Hank Henshaw in there as well, but yeah, it's not, not, it's not a really good. He's not a great villain anymore. They basically just were like, we need a really good, compelling villain for uh, Supergirl. Let's pull one from Superman and try and sort of shoehorn it in. And it didn't work real well. And that's my guess is how that's how they're going to go on the show. So we'll see. I kind of figured they were going to they were going to bring Dean Kane back in and cyborg him up. And that's yeah. how they were going to do it. Well, I mean, Hank Henshaw, Hank Henshaw is the name of the John Jones Mm-hmm. Uh, alter ego in the show, so that was already kind of thrown out there as a red herring, and then he turned out to be John Jones, not uh, you know to be the Martian Manhunter, not Cyborg. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about. I don't. That, what you just told me bums me out because I like the Hank Hanshaw character. I thought it was a, like it's one of Superman's more compelling villains. I like yeah. that angle yeah. that they had on him, like. Having yeah. stolen the birthing matrix and like building a body out of Kryptonian like DNA and technology and stuff like that, I thought was really cool. And he went on to be a really excellent um, Green Lantern villain later on as well in some of the um, Jeff Johns uh, written Green Lantern stuff too. He did some really great things with that Hank Henshaw version, and like he ended up playing really big roles in some of the like huge crossovers, like. Um, uh, Genesis was maybe not the best DC crossover, but um, that's that version of Cyborg had a big role in that. And I think in some of the later, like Final Crisis or something like, or it was Final Crisis or Infinite Crisis, one of those as well. Huh. Yeah, no, it was a good. Uh, that's, that's I'm disappointed they're wasting a good villain like that in the comics. But we'll have yeah. to see how the like the TV show does it. But yeah. I mean, I guess it, they could go relatively traditional. But if it's like, if they already have super, I don't know. Just wait till Superman gets his own show. It sounds like they want to do it anyway. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, what was the last? You said something. Oh, Legendary is adapting Dune as a TV show or a movie at some point in the near future. Yeah, uh, that that one was brand new today, and I've haven't read much about it yet. And they like said it's it's up in the air as to whether it's going to be a movie or a, uh, a TV show. But of all the sort of houses that I think could potentially do Dune justice. Uh, I think Legendary is certainly up there. Yeah, I don't... It's a pretty fucking difficult to adapt story, though. I don't know why they keep trying to do it. Like The movie did it as well as it could, I think. Maybe, uh, man. The, the one with Sting? Yes. No, I, I think the miniseries um, in like the oh, early right, 2000s. Right, right. That's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, that, yes. that, that was the best adaptation of Dune so far for me. Uh so yeah. my problem is like if they go TV show with it, like do they start pulling in the sequels and doing those as later seasons? Because some of those are, I don't think I could ever even get through the second book really. Maybe I've read the, the trilogy, the the first three. Um, yeah, through I had a hard time getting through some of them. 
But um, yeah, I mean, they're Frank Herbert. I think is somebody that could is an uh, amazing at world building, but could definitely use an editor at times. Yeah. Um, which I think is a, a criticism that's been leveled at. Uh, George R. R. Martin a couple times as well. Oh, uh, yeah. It's kind of something that gets leveled at any, like, significantly popular or successful author. Like, Stephen King notoriously, like, really needs somebody to cut his shit down a lot of the time. Like, his mm-hmm. best stuff's always his shorter stuff. And when he gets into the long-winded, like... You ever, you ever read The Stand, and it's, like, 1,200 pages, and then the unabridged version comes out, and it's, like... 1700 pages or some shit like that (laughs) it is nightmarish i've never even like tried to read it because it just i don't not that interested but yeah um yeah i find like a lot of authors when they get to the point where they're like that famous they lose control like they get editorial control and it just gets unwieldy like i think having that editor is always kind of important I think even the first dune book is gonna need to be done as either like a three three and a half hour movie or as two or three individual movies like the like Lord of the Rings was done. So good. Lord of the Rings or Dune? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Sorry, Lord of the Rings? <laughs> we just uh, scheduled our annual um, Middle Earth movie marathon today. We just p- made the Facebook event. It's uh, on the 17th, and 17th to 18th of December because it's fucking 21 hours long. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it'll, it'll come back to Canada when we when we do. No, whoa, it's when, never coming back. When it comes back to Canada, we're gonna have to clear a big hard drive space out and do a very long podcast, <laughs> like a, like a fucking three terabyte drive or something like that. Yeah, we'll have, to, we'll, have to, we'll have to get Eric there so we can use his board and just do it one all yeah. in one take. <laughs> See what happens. See yeah. how long it lasts before we're all too drunk to even continue talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's. It, you you lose coherence after about the first three movies. I can, having never seen any of those Hobbit movies, I can only imagine. Yeah, but awesome. So wow, we've really like we're trailblazing through this. This is good. <laughs> um, anybody else got anything they want to talk about? You guys yeah. good good to go? Yeah. So we're gonna get you guys want to. You, one of you guys wants to say it. So the m- 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 meat. <laughs> Like that, we both were like, "Oh!" <laughs> say meat over and over again. Uh, so the meat of the episode this week, I got the I got the guys, I got Christy and Tim to uh, to go back and uh, pick out their top five favorite albums of all time. And um, I fucking hate you for making me do it. <laughs> I suffered just as much as you did trying to find five albums to name. So, um, Christy doesn't look like she suffered quite as badly as we did. Um, but. I had trouble nailing it down just because i i love music but i don't listen to al full albums very often mm-hmm. fucking millennials yeah pretty much so this is going to be probably at least an ongoing series I'm, I'm, maybe christy will eventually drop out and it'll just be tim and i doing these to keep going because i think tim and i could probably go down through at least 50 oh, relatively yeah. easily um, yeah you really could so we're we're gonna keep going. So this is kind of part one, but this is where like we get into like our favorite albums of all time. Um, so we're gonna go around the room and do this one at a time. Uh, so you're number five, and we'll start with Christy. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, uh, I'd say my fifth, and some of these aren't in particular order, but um, I'm a big fan of the album "Speak for Yourself" by Imogen Heap. 
Ooh, mm-hmm. good record. Yeah, yeah okay. from 2005. Like, I loved her other stuff, but this was my first introduction to Imogen, and it was the first time I'd ever really, like, heard a sound like that before. Because mm-hmm. um, okay. I grew up listening to uh, classic rock and crooners, but, um, which, ironically, didn't make it out of my list. But um, <laughs> I uh, there was just something about, like, her voice and this, this, this actual just sound of the record. And it was it was just so like ethereal, and um, she's actually what turned me on to another uh, of my favorite bands, which I'll mention once we're once it's my turn again. But I don't know, Imogen was just uh, and is just a supreme talent. Like, God, there's no one like her. Yeah, I love Imogen Heap, but I, I honestly can't say that I've ever sat down and listened to one of her albums all the way through. But oh. maybe I should. I would recommend this one because it's got hide and seek and just for now. And mm-hmm. um, well, what we know. can do afterwards, if you want, is uh, if you guys throw your lists into the Slack, we can. I'll I'll, I'll oh, go listen to. Oh, that's a cool you. idea. I would listen. I'll go to listen that. to what you guys recommend because I'll listen to anything once mm-hmm. at least. Well, maybe not, but I don't like Justin Bieber enough to do that. So <laughs> or Hamilton. I don't think anybody. I've would. listened to Hamilton once. Go fuck yourself. All right, I listened to it once. <laughs> I got one, one time. time. I've listened to it. Uh, that's all it gets. It doesn't do nothing for me, so... I can't listen to musical soundtracks, like, uh, unless I've actually seen the show. Like, I'll, I'll listen to it if I've seen the show, but, uh, I can't just sit there and listen to it without the... without having seen it. I'm kind of in the same boat, but I will listen to select tracks that I know are really good, because I want to sing them. Mm. Mm, fair enough. All right, Christy, um, going back to your pick, do you remember the first time you heard it? Yep. Like, where did you get it? Um, a friend gave me a blank CD and said, this is for your education. <laughs> and put it in my Walkman. And, wait, uh, wait, Discman? Discman, Discman, sorry. <laughs> I did have a Walkman. We are, see, we're, we're the generation that still actually remembers, like, tape Walkmans. Hey, I, I had a tape Walkman. I listened to ABBA and Hanson. I still have <laughs> mine somewhere. It's a little, yeah. it's a yellow Sony sport yep. one. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. I have, with the head with the overhead earphones and yep. <laughs> no, Damn I right. had my um. As a side note, um, it was hard not to put my uh, first album on, but my first uh, my first introduction to like my own personal music that I could listen to at whatever rate I wanted, whenever I wanted, was Aqua, um, oh, and Hanson and the uh, tape version of the. Uh, 10th anniversary of Les Miserables. <laughs> wow. That's that's kind of scary, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think I am the way I am? It does explain an awful lot. Yeah. But, um, no, I... Uh, but she gave me this uh, CD, and she was just like, don't ask me what these artists are. You just need to find them. You need to see if you love them. And when you do, not if, when you do, you will find more music like them. And uh, I thought that was very cool. I feel like I want to make you a mix CD, Christy. <laughs> I would be so happy if you did. Okay. Put it in my car, just jam I miss, out. I miss that. I miss that old shit, like making people tapes and stuff like yeah, that. That was, yeah. that was my jam. I used to do well, that all Now the it's time. playlists. I've, yeah. I've done that for my wife a few times over the years. Yeah, you have to have you have to have the same music streaming service. So, like, if you don't have Spotify, you're kind of screwed. So. No, That's I just true. do it in iTunes because I got a massive mm. iTunes collection. Yeah, um, I have that too. But yeah, I have like at least 20 discs of like 
old music that I've made, like, with no, it's got no, like, real order. I have one that's got, yeah. like, Avenue Q and then Michael Jackson's Free Willy theme, then No Doubt. <laughs> like, it's wow. just... Yeah. I've got a bunch of tapes that are like that too, where I just like, I picked all the tracks that I wanted to, to be on these tapes, but then I didn't like pick an order or anything. And I just like yeah. went and hit like shuffle and then just recorded it onto tapes or CDs or whatever. I used to have like the like longest running like setup where I would just like pre-program, like I had a three disc changer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yep, like, yep. Pre-program the tracks I wanted on the tape. And then just let it run till then and then like sync it and then stop and do the next three songs on another bunch of CDs. And as I've said before, I was the guy that had every CD. So I had like 2000 CDs to pick from and stuff like that. So it, it got it got intense sometimes when I was making mixtapes. So nice. make me times. a mixtape. <laughs> uh, I don't have a I don't have a tape deck to make, make a mixtape. Make me a CD. Make, make CD. You a CD. Yeah. Um, okay. What? Pick a favorite song off the record. Oh, <laughs> well, you gotta rec- if you're gonna get people to just go out, they can go on Spotify and listen to whatever you're recommending, right? So uh, pick one song. Okay, one song, one song. Um, I probably "Good Night and Go." Um, or just for now, but just for now, the live version where she does it in front of you. Everybody's heard "Hide and Seek," like you don't need to. But um, "Good Night and Go" is oh, it's so good. Okay. It's all so good. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know what that noise was. It's my it's so good noise. Ah. Wow. Wow. Like <laughs> goblin something. <laughs> I'm not. It's no Muppet face today. It's no yeah. Muppet face today. All right. Tim, number five. Uh, my number five, this was the, probably the hardest pick for me, um, was the f- number five spot because it meant that everything else wasn't going to be on the list. But for me, oh. uh, uh, it was um, OK Computer by Radiohead from 1997. Oh, See, solid. Just, like, just didn't quite make my top five. That, that was the one that I thought that one? might have yeah. been on yours. I struggled with OK Computer. Yeah, for, that was the one where I was like, that should be in my top five. But I was looking at my top five and like, it's just not like for personally, yeah. it's just it's not in there. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I think if any of the albums that are in my top five should be considered like a true work of art, it's OK Computer um, because it had a yeah, it had a lot to say and uh, a lot to express. And musically, it's amazing. Like for me, this is an album that like changed music the same way that Pet Sounds did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it really captures like the existential dread and uncertainty of the of the '90s as a whole. Um, like sort of that anti-consumerism, anti-establishment sentiment, and like you're just on the cusp of like the computer age, and it captures that sort of anxiety about not knowing how all that technology was going to change our lives. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that album. Uh, I still remember picking that album up and like at first not getting it. Like I didn't get it the first time I listened to it. Like it was, it's so dense, right? Like you're kind of like, I don't know what is happening. Why doesn't there adjust on this or like fake plastic trees or something that I can like Mm -hmm. sink my teeth into immediately. And like, cause even like karma police is not, it's not as immediate as those other songs. Yeah. But as you live with it and you get over the, like, yeah, that dread permeates the entire album to the point where you're like, I'm almost uncomfortable listening to this album. Um, yeah. But once you get past that, you're just like, oh, shit. 
okay, you're the most important band on the planet right yeah. now. Yeah, but it's it's <laughs> so well-structured that there are those songs that are a are, are, are little tough to get through and that you really do have to sort of uh, challenge yourself to appreciate. Uh, but there's then there'll be like a sort of slower song like Let Down or No Surprises or something like that that'll sort of just wash over you and let you get sort of re uh, regain your footing kind of thing yeah. before wiping you off of it, uh, wipe, yeah, knocking you down again. Yeah. And also as like, I mean, Electioneering is a fantastic pop song, like in the middle of that album for yeah. some reason. Like, yeah. Cowbell and everything for no reason whatsoever, just in there being awesome on yeah. its own. That, and that, so those, a couple of the songs on the back half of that album are the reason that I, I, I still really like them, but I don't love them. So that's the reason that this is the number five position on my list. Okay. It's, this is the album that I took down from the number four position. It was number four, but then I, I switched my number four and my number five at the last minute, like half hour before we recorded. Okay. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, like Letdown and Karma Police and No Surprises like are just really super relaxing songs for me, but still really musically great. Um, and I mean, this is just like this was the fucking cherry on top of a, an entire year of amazing albums 97. and music. Uh, shockingly, I only have one album from 97 on my list like in the top five, but in the top, I think, 20, yeah. it pops up probably five or six times. Pretty. Yeah pretty easily yeah absolutely um, 97 was a fuck of a year when it came to getting <laughs> records oh fuck yeah <laughs> um so pick what like do you remember when you first heard it did you grab the album or uh, i definitely have the album i still have it today i don't remember exactly when i i mean i bought the album i don't you know nobody bought it for me or anything um yeah. I don't remember exactly when or I mean I, I have it on vinyl now as well. Uh Alicia got it for me a couple of years ago on uh, on vinyl as well. It's back there um, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh I'm looking at it right now from here cuz I got all my CDs on the wall. Nice. Um and uh in terms of you're going to make me pick a song off it? Yeah, one. That's pretty easy in this case. That would be Paranoid Android for me absolutely. Okay. Nice. I mean that's just an amazing song that I think really captures the whole um, feel of that album it's basically like a little pocket symphony where it's got different movements and different tones throughout it and yeah that is uh easily easily one of my f- or one of if not my favorite uh radiohead songs fair enough awesome good pick i love that album yeah all right so my number five i struggled with my number five um and i probably had the same kind of thing where i was just like I can't leave this album off, but like I can't leave this album off, and I can't leave this album off, and eventually I just have to like make the cut. Um, but my number five is Guns N' Roses' "Appetite for Destruction." <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, this is the album that like totally introduced me to harder rock music. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, I don't know. I don't know what I was listening to. My mom was in the house, obviously, like listening to like Zeppelin and U two and stuff like that. Um, but Guns N' Roses was my first band. Like they were my band. Um, and like all that bullshit, rebellious nonsense that goes on on that album, uh, <laughs> for some reason spoke to little, I was probably, I, I probably didn't listen to it when it first came out. So it was probably like a couple years afterwards, probably more going towards like use your illusion was coming out at that time. So I was probably about 10 or 11 and I just like that album kicks my ass. Um, <laughs> it's got a lot of ass kickers for sure. It does. No, it's, it's pretty much like, it's almost like. There's maybe like one or two little missteps on the album that I, I you could probably get rid of and it'd be a tighter piece. But 
I mean, like the singles that came off of it, like were insane, and like just the personality of like that band. Um, like I saw them this summer, and it's still like it just still blew me away seeing like Axel and Slash play together because I never thought it would happen. Um, but yeah, this album's like, whew, it totally speaks to that late '80s decadence in LA and stuff like that, and like it's still just a little bit, still feels a little bit dangerous, even like we're 30 years removed from that record now, which is honestly kind of mind boggling when I think about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, that's so that, wait, that was 1987 80, 87 shit. Yeah. We're almost, it's almost, it'll be 30 years next yeah. year. Wow. So, yeah. It's crazy. Um, Christy staring at the ceiling. No, I was just like thinking, <laughs> I was like, wow, 30 years. That's why I was shaking my head. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't even born when this record came out. I was in the process of being thought about. There you go. <laughs> I was being conceived. Yeah. My sister was. My you sister were probably was. conceived to this record. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to like, maybe, maybe it was my. I don't like know. My dad might have. Mine. Yeah. yeah, sweet child of mine. Paradise City. Oh, 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 sweet child of mine. I feel like more. Uh, if you had to pick a Guns N' Roses song to conceive to, I think November Rain's probably the one. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a song about falling out of love. That's like, there's. I love. I love. <laughs> you know what happens when you have a child? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just Geeks kidding. with Geeks kids. With no. kids. <laughs> yeah, we could. We'll, next time we have to guest on their show, we'll uh, we'll have to ask them. No, they obviously love their children so much. Yes, but do they love their spouses? Still, is the question you need yes. to ask yourself. Yes. I don't think you love them after four kids. Oh, <laughs> isn't that how many Eric wants to have? Eric and Megan oh. want to have four kids. Oh. No, I think I think maybe they said three. Oh. Too many, too. That's a lot Pops. of kids. Call it a day. Yeah. Replace yourselves. Don't yeah. overpopulate the earth. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't remember have the first time I heard this album. There's no way I could possibly remember. I still have the original CD that I bought somewhere. It's still around. Um, it scratched all the shit because I've been carrying it around for probably 25 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I have to pick a favorite song off of it. I mean, everybody knows all the singles off of it, so like. I'm going to say Rocket Queen is probably my favorite song on it. It's the one I ever heard that. Really? It's the last song on the album. It's either that or Mr. Brownstone, but I'm going to say Rocket Queen. So you don't, you never heard rock. You never heard the whole album. I don't think so. Oh, Tim, you're breaking my heart, man. I mean, I've heard, I've heard every uh, fucking GNR single for sure. Yeah. The singles uh, are all over the place. You can't, you can't, Guns N' Roses is one of those bands you can't escape on classic rock anymore. Like they are. Yeah. Classic rock. Um, which oddly enough, a lot of my bands are now. So, <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. Classic alternative. Classic alternative. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so number four, Christy. Okay, this one was really hard. Um, not that I I had to have Imogen on there because she's Imogen, but I really struggled between um albums between uh Coldplay and Mother Mother. Um, because. Coldplay, I mean, X and Y and A Rush of Blood to the Head are outstanding albums. I still like their first one the best. Well, I mean, it's great. Is that Parachutes? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Parachutes also fantastic. And like everything that Coldplay did was amazing. But I think if you ask me what my favorite like album album was, it would probably have to be Mother Mother's Oh My Heart or Eureka. Oh, like I love. Oh, my heart is an amazing record. It's 
amazing. It is so good. And I've seen Mother Mother play three times. I've taken, I've done photography for them. Like, oh, really? they're just like, yeah, they're really yeah, I've cool seen them people. a couple times. Uh, the first time I saw them, they opened for Matthew Good, oddly enough. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was pretty neat. I saw them open for a shitty um, a rapper at Mac, but they were just like, they blew me <laughs> away. That's so yeah. random. Was it, was and, it uh, Chocolair? No, it was like... Chocolaire played it. Car- Cardinal Fischel. <laughs> no, he had like one name and he was white and he kicked a beer cup at me. Shad? No, not... No. Shad's black. White. Um, oh, was it... Um. Oh, shit. What was that guy's name? Right? What's his name? Everybody loved him for like... Fox a, 65? No, he had one name. One one word. One word? I don't know. Okay, sorry. But anyway, um, they were just really, really cool. And then a couple days later, I went to a private show that they were hosting where there were only like 50 of us. Um... And then uh, I saw them in concert, um, oh, just over two years ago. And they were just, they're so good. Like, just their music, they're, they could do a little more, like, fun stuff on stage. But, I mean, um, the sound that they produce yeah. is just, it's so unreal. Like, it's the, the harmonies and it's, I just, ah, it, it just, it got me through university. Like, I, I love Mother Mother. I saw them in this tiny club in St. Catharines with, like, a girlfriend and, like, 50 other people. It was, like, they were so good. It was so They're better fun. when it's more intimate. That's what I've yeah. learned. We were, like, uh, like I could have reached out and touched any of them from, like, how small this place was from where well, I was standing. I should send you the link to my pictures. Like, Yeah, you should. That's awesome. We had a yeah. blast. Yeah, that, um, album, that album, that album in particular too. Um, oh, my heart's just so good. Yeah, oh my heart. Uh, <laughs> like, what's the song on? I like Wrecking Ball. Wrecking Ball is a fantastic yeah. song. Um, I am a big fan of Ghosting and um, Body of Years. Yeah, good songs. Um, but I mean, you can't. The problem is, like, I'd have to choose that one over Eureka, but Eureka has like Baby Don't Dance and Simply Simple and like um, Oleander. I feel like Eureka was a little bit poppier. Like, it, it doesn't have that. There's a little yeah. bit of like a rougher edge to Oh yeah. My Heart that I really like. So, well, I'd pick Oh My Heart over Eureka simply because it was my first experience with them. Because um, it was funny, I I didn't know who they are, who they were when I was taking photography when I was doing photography for them. Um, and then my friend Jesse like uh, gave me the whole discography for um, their stuff, and he was like, "Listen to Oh My Heart first, just listen to it." And I did, and I remember I had it on like repeat for about three or four weeks excuse me just um just listening over and over and over to again it was great to like bike to but okay. what year was oh my heart oh um, it was oh the God. only album i have i mean i've heard a lot of mother mother and i really like it i just haven't actually gone out and got it the, but i have i have the i have touch up oh 2008 touch okay. up's pretty good yeah polynesia um, is one of my favorite mother mother songs uh, you know what? I, I the other one I really liked their other album was um, I like the Sticks a lot. The Sticks was really good. Well, they have a lot of records now. Yeah, they've been like going strong for a long time. Yeah, um, the Sticks though, like that that was a such a good such a good album for like um, let's fall in love and um, oh, what was the other one I really loved? Uh, I think it was. Uh, to the wild and the sticks itself, and their new album too was really good. Very good, bad thing. Like they're all over the radio now too, and it's rad. And they're just Monkey Trees, fantastic. Uh, just gotta, they're so good. Oh, so they've <laughs> sold out now. What do you mean? Oh, they're just getting played on the radio. 
Oh, they've been being played on the radio for forever. Is it the, mm. the stand? That got a shitload of radio play. Mm. Yeah. I haven't listened to the radio since the iPod was invented, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, I listen um, to a podcast, but not much in the way of radio. Yeah, yeah podcast same. is like the only thing that even remotely comes off the internet that way. Uh, yeah. Even like having a Spotify thing just means that like I'll be like, oh, I don't have any mother mother on my phone. I'll just listen to it from there until I can get it off yeah. my hard drive and onto my phone properly. Yeah. So. But um, yeah, I'd say uh, I'd say I, I'd, it was really hard not to put Coldplay on the list, but it would be Mother Mother on my heart. And um, oh, what song would I recommend? I've already said like eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got to pick one. Pick got to pick one. Okay, let me just on oh, my heart. Uh, let me just think about this. Um. Pull it up on Wikipedia so I can remind myself. Yeah, see, I ghosting is so good. Uh, let me think about this. Um, maybe Hayloft actually. Huh. No, no, body of years, body of years. Yeah, body. Is of that years. your final answer? Oh Jesus, <laughs> did I just say that? <laughs> but oh my heart itself is so good too. No, body of years. I'm gonna go with I'm body of years. Depressed <laughs> with myself now. Is that your final answer? Ugh, shut up. Yes, Regis. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I hate myself right now. Or ghosting. <laughs> Damn it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, are you good now? Are you still... Yeah, move past me. All right, Tim, number four. Uh, my number four is, surprisingly enough, when I was putting this list together, the only Canadian album that I have on it. Uh, and even it's only sort of partially Canadian and it's uh, Arcade Fire's Funeral from 2004. Ooh. Nice. I knew you the bassist sister. Right? Yeah, I mean, that, again, all of the songs on my list have a lot of things in common. One one is basically that, like, they were albums that really came out that were different than anything, anything anybody else was doing at the time. Um, and really sort of maybe started a, at least a subgenre, if not an entire genre. And I think that... Um, that uh, funeral really did that. Um, it was different. I mean, there was definitely indie coming out at the time, but it was very different than any of the other indie that was coming out at the time. Cause at that point there was a lot of like singer songwritery kind of stuff and that sort of thing. I remember yeah. our, when arcade fire came out, that was like, it was completely different than everything else that was going on. Even like, yeah. cause it came out around the same time as like broken social scene was scene was still happening. Yeah. And that and was even, a little more jam rocky. And that was a little bit more. Yeah. It was a little bit more jam rocky. Like these guys were writing like, pretty concise if a little bit alternative kind of pop music so Mm -hmm. uh the arcade fire yeah that was a those were heady days those mid those mid aughts (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah and like like all the songs in my top five i think that this really stands as like a cohesive album it's got like interwoven themes throughout it um sort of uh, uh themes lyrically that come back throughout the um throughout it the first half of the album is like the sort of neighborhoods like indie symphony it's got like four or five movements to it um and it's it's this really great mix the whole album is this really great mix of like dreamy optimistic sort of my bloody valentine-ish kind of sounds along with like sort of childlike wonder, but there's a little bit of that sort of grittier undertone to it as well. Um, yeah, fuck. I mean, this. I think that I think Funeral was kind of a coming of age uh, album for me in in the way that it helped me sort of transition from 
uh, like my college self to like my adult self um, and sort of made me realize that, you know, even though you do have to sort of take on more responsibility and stuff like that, you don't necessarily have to leave everything behind. Fair enough. Um, you can bring stuff with you as you mature and like, that's, I think what, I think the album is kind of a coming of age album. Cause it starts out with more sort of the, like, you know, you're a kid living in suburbia kind of thing. I mean, it's like, a, it's, it, it's all my albums are fucking white as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine are too. Don't, don't, don't you worry. Actually, mine is not completely as white as you would think. Um, but Okay, um, uh, so you were were you at McMaster when you heard it the first like when you picked it up? Uh, I guess I would have been. Yeah, so this this one would have came out um, right towards the end, right before I left Mac to go do my year at uh, working at Disney World, um, and that yeah. was before. Uh, basically, that was kind of like a year off, and then I came back and like finished up the last couple courses I needed to at Mac. Um, yeah, I mean. It's really well structured and that like the songs lead into each other so well and that that if I hear them out of order like if I accidentally have my iPod on shuffle or something like that I notice it ab- right away I'm like no that's not right you know this this song doesn't come after this one kind of thing um and and it's a not not a really long album either like the songs the tracks aren't particularly long and it's only 10 tracks but not a single one is wasted mm. huh. yeah and i mean it's it's like like OK Computer, it has like a full dynamic range. It it has really like screaming indie anthems, and then it's got like quieter, mellower sort of tracks that um, just you know are are a little more sort of uh, laid back and cathartic kind of thing. Yes. Right. Well, so pick your song. Uh, you guys are picking all the fucking like you know b-sides and shit like that but i'm going with like the big ones i think wake up it might be my favorite song of that entire decade uh oh, so shit. yeah holy shit really i th- i think i think so so i think that would have to be my favorite track off the album it, it, okay. it's up there for sure it's one of my favorite tracks of of you know 2000 to 2009 huh. fair enough awesome Okay, moving right along. Uh, my number four album. I I struggled uh, to get something because uh, as I've gotten older, oddly enough, I, my taste has gotten somewhat heavier. Um, I've skewed into like more progressive stuff, like progressive metal kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. But I always like a fairly like intelligent take on it. Um, so I I was torn between two records, and I chose this one because the last couple years they've been very much my band. But it's definitely it's the Deftones' White Pony. Um, I figured there was going to be a Deftones album on yours. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I I was torn. It was it was between this like it was I had it was either Deftones or Tool, and it had to be. And then when I got to Deftones, I was like, "Fuck, White Pony or Diamond Eyes? I can't decide." White Pony wins out. It's like the stronger album, I think overall. Um, it's also it's like kind of widely regarded in metal circles as kind of like the smartest metal album, like the the OK Computer of metal. Um, because this is where the Deftones start adding a lot of like weird texture and electronics, and the themes start becoming less and less about like Chino singing about himself and him taking on characters and stuff like that. And that's why I said this is probably the least white album I have on my thing. Most of the Deftones guys are like Latino from like SoCal, so mm. they're all from San Diego, Sacramento. So, um, Not like Cholos. Kinda, pretty much, yeah, but just metalhead cholos. So like, <laughs> it's there. It's a weird mix because this is also the album where like 
Chino really stops doing so much rapping. The first two albums were very like rap rock, fit right in with that whole new metal thing. Mm-hmm. This is the album where they were like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to go start experimenting and doing weird stuff. Um, so this is like an album that's got like a guest spot from uh, Maynard James Keenan from Tool, which means I get my Tool reference in one way or the other. <laughs> um, but like the, the Deftones have always been like a weird kind of outlier when it comes to like a heavier music. They like... Chino's massively influenced by like Morrissey and uh, why can I not remember the guy from The Cure's name right now? Robert uh, Robert Smith. Robert Smith from The Cure, like vocally, his vocal style is very much like leans into like Morrissey stuff, and they're always like they do they mix up a nice um, there's a nice blend of like kind of like beautiful ethereal passages and then just like crushing brutality um, on the other hand, Fucking so face melting metal. Well, they get, they get, there's a couple songs on this record that will like test your speakers that like the intensity <laughs> levels that much. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my number four pick. Um, I can see here and talk to you guys about why you should listen to White Pony, but if you don't like heavy music, it's kind of a hard sell. I understand. Yeah. Um, I like, but yeah, the- I like heavier music and it's just the Deftones were never on my radar when the stuff was coming out. It was just I didn't have any friends who were listening to it, that sort of thing. So it's something that at some point I know I need to go back and try and sit through. You can probably, I mean, I know the way you are, you'll want to listen to all of it. But you can probably ignore all the albums up to White Pony and then go from there and start. And that's where they really become like, like in my head, that's where the Deftones become like, not just another rap rock band, but they become like something completely different. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I can't, like, they're a hard band to classify. Like, people will call them like alternative metal is probably the best easiest way to do it yeah um because there's some weird stuff in there there's all kinds of like electronic texture that floats throughout it and i mean um, I, I like like nine inch nails and tool and they've got a lot of those sort of elements as well and like yeah. well uh maybe a little bit less like that but like mindless self-indulgence too that's a little more yeah. industrial yeah they have some like industrial leanings but they like a lot of it's like um Steven, like the guitarist, is like massively influenced by Mashuga, uh, mm. in terms of like what he like his guitar style, and then like the budding up of like his like I want to be a metalhead like Mashuga fan, and Chino like I want to be fucking Morrissey kind of thing is what makes the Deftones kind of like mm. there's a lot of tension that gets built on the in the band by that kind of stuff, and that's what kind of makes their sound interesting. <laughs> um, the other thing you'll notice probably too, like if we're going through our list, all these albums have like super strong drummers on them. I have to shout out Abe Cunningham. It's one of my favorite albums to play along to. Um, he's a fucking nut job. It's not as it's not Danny Carey level like weird cyborg octopus. Like I don't know how he does that kind of stuff, but it's all really crisp, nice, interesting, intricate patterns to play along to. Uh, I probably learned ninety percent of the rudiments I did between this and one of the other albums I'm going to talk about later. So, um, yeah, I don't even remember. I remember the only thing I remember about this album in terms of, like the first time I heard it was I remember buying it. And I think it came out actually the same day as Merdinand by A Perfect Circle. And I mm. remember going to the record store and grabbing both those albums back to back, like at the same time. And my brother, uh, who will listen to this and probably eventually send me a top five list after he tortures himself the way we did to figure it out, <laughs> um, probably stole my Merdinand album and took off with it. So I was kind of left with like for that week I had White Pony and that's why whatever they were they're a weird band for me because like i didn't pay super close attention to them until diamond eyes hit and then when they kind of came back out and diamond eyes hit was when i like i deep dove into it and just like they just took over so 
Hmm. Um, yeah, and then like the one song, like obviously everybody's heard "Change in the House of Flies." Um, but if you're gonna go listen to one, and Passenger, the one that's got Maynard on it, you can go listen to it anywhere. But like my song's "Knife Party," so that was on one of the uh, Rock Band or Guitar Hero games, wasn't it? Knife Party? Yeah. No. No. Fuck. There's no way they would do that on there. Uh, there's the end part has a, a guest vocalist, uh, Rodlin Getzik, that does this um, impossibly high wailing squeal. Mm kind of thing in the background it almost sounds like she's being tortured but melodically um it's it's super intense but yeah it's not so like, so like mariah carey but metal yeah actually that's not a bad example like it, <laughs> uh it's it's like super high but like in tune like in key so mm-hmm. uh it's really interesting to listen to okay cool we're into number three christy all right, number three. Well, because I couldn't pick just one of their albums, I will go with um, one of their live albums, actually. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Queen Rocks Montreal. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because they've got all my favorites, and I couldn't get enough of Freddie Mercury live. Like, that guy is a freaking genius a force of nature for sure yeah, yeah on like stage, that made- on stage and that's why part of the reason i like the live um discography because it's like you hear him being ron you hear his talent and this was before like auto-tuning this before all you know um everything to do with like uh pre-recording your voice and you know all those um artists who don't really perform live much anymore mm-hmm. but freddie mercury was just a force like yeah a com- a commanding voice. presence for sure yeah and you know taken far too soon but like every they had so many albums but like the gems really were on this one and the fact that like they were the ones that you just um, I know you were saying we're picking all this B B side stuff, Tim. <laughs> but like when it comes to Queen, I'm all about the greatest hits. Excuse me. It's so, hard like, not to be. I mean, they're I so iconic and and like as a singer, I just appreciate how talented he was. Yeah, yeah. And ma- the rest of the band was, is he also- had like a massive uh, range, didn't he? Sorry, I just I just pulled up his his Wikipedia. Uh, Mercury's speaking voice naturally fell in the baritone range. He delivered most songs in the tenor range. His known yeah. vocal range extended from bass low F, F2, to soprano high F, F6. Like, I, that's almost... He could almost... build up to tenor high F, F5. So that's, that's crazy. Oh, like, What's, I mean... What is, what, what is that kind of... Is that like... That's is four, that four octaves? Four yeah. or five octaves. Jesus. Like, who else in a rock band like a hardcore like i can name two who have ranges like that but name them uh chris cornell and robert plant in his prime yeah, yeah robert plant absolutely and that's true but like out of all of the rock bands you know like um and oh yeah but none of them had the uh like in terms of like stage presence and ability to grasp a crowd like and control them in the palm of his hand and make them do literally whatever the fuck he wanted there's probably never been anybody that will ever come close to freddie mercury's ability to control a crowd i would say robert plants up there but like in this in the same class but yeah but like not maybe like even yeah, i think the only other person i would say like bowie maybe had that kind of like yeah or roger daltrey 
Daltry, plant for sure. I'll give you plant. Honestly, like I will, I'll probably throw Bono in there too. Like in his mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. his prime. But like, yeah. Bono had a crazy voice. Um, YouTube is a fantastic band. <laughs> we will talk more about them later. <laughs> but um, no, it's just. I mean, Freddie Mercury though just like paved the way for like being an effeminate rocker too. You know what I mean? Shockingly, like, yeah. uh, massive, massive homophobe Axl Rose is like the biggest fucking Freddie Mercury fan of all time. <laughs> Which is crazy, but like he just not only was his music um, and the band's music outstanding, but he was an icon. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's just something so powerful about his story um, beyond just the immaculate talent that he brought to the stage every time. It was mm-hmm. the fact that, like, he stood and, like, just was beloved by so many, regardless of his sexual orientation. And, like, he just, he was a true rock star. Amazing near five octave range. Jeez. Do you remember... Uh- Earlier this year, where there was talk about um, Sasha Barra Cohen playing him in his biopic, yeah, yeah I remember like that. that. That would have been amazing casting. Apparently, been. apparently, he ended up having to leave the project. But fuck, that would have been so good. Yeah. Um. Didn't Stu think he looked like Freddie Mercury? He dressed up as him for yeah. Halloween. I remember yeah. he told the story yeah. on the podcast at one point. But yeah, just like. So you can't pick like a record. You can't pick well, one album. You're, you're, I mean, uh, if I it, that's the problem is that like I like bits from every record. You know what I, I mean? Know. Yeah. I mean, uh, the closest. I one think. Maybe... I think this. Is, I think I might have to call cop out on this. Yeah, this feels like a cop out. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like well, a cop out. I just. I if don't we know. were doing favorite, if we were doing favorite artists, I think you could get away with this, but maybe not favorite albums. Fine. <laughs> I don't know. It would be between. I'm not gonna make you change it. But well, if I had to pick my favorite album albums, it would be between, um, innuendo, jazz, and a night at the opera. Night at the opera would be. You gonna pick three albums? Well, you're making me choose. I'm saying those would be my three. <laughs> probably, probably jazz. Oh, night at the opera. Yeah, none of the opera is pretty pretty epic. Yeah, but jazz took some risks that they hadn't done before. Mm. Jazz is a solid fucking record too, though. Like, yeah, I can't, I'm not I can't argue with it, but I'm just saying, like I I would I would I would pick. Um, well, it's not your list, is it, Mark? Not, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Me. But that's that's what where I. Did my, you, where um, did you? Where, how did you discover Queen? Oh, my dad. Dad. He loved Queen, and I would just um. He had this greatest hits album. Um, Red, uh, maroon or blue? I think it was maroon. Mm, those are both amazing. Yeah, but, both of those. Um, and I would just have it on repeat on the record player, and I just like, you know, headbang to all the Freddie Mercury I possibly could. <laughs> he was part of the reason I loved learning how to sing. He gave me like range to play with. He was part of the reason why I realized I was a fucking, like, I had literally zero range to my voice. Oh, uh, I going to say, he was the reason I realized I was gay? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, that was that was uh, Bowie, probably. Yeah, but, a lot of people uh, figured yeah. that out because of Bowie and Freddie. Shit, did I just put that, I have to edit that out? No, you don't. <laughs> no, it's fine. Bowie is one uh, that, that I had a really hard time not including in my 
Bowie's five, Bowie's in top my five. top twenty. Would you say you guys would have him as a di- like his greatest hits? No, <laughs> no, it would be like Ziggy Stardust or something like that. Excuse me. Um, oh, Aladdin Sane, probably for me. But uh, yeah, I'd say the song that I would recommend to people, though. Um, uh, I where is it? Just say Bohemian Rhapsody. No, it's not <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, though. It's um, I'm torn between another one, Bites the Dust, because it's just so good, and um, Under Pressure. Oh. Fuck that song is amazing. Yeah, and you get Bowie. You get Bowie too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What more do you want? Maybe not on the live version. I used to do uh, like that was like a karaoke standby when I was at Brock. I had a buddy who would do the Freddie yeah. Mercury part, and I would do the lower Bowie part. And I was like, "This is we killed it every time." A personal <laughs> favorite. Nice. All right, uh, number three, Tim. Can I take a quick break? Quick pee break. Yeah, sure. All right, be right back. I'm just going to let this record because yeah. uh, um, Tim's peeing. Peeing Tim. Peeing pee like a boss. <sighs> just taking a pee. With his pee. Yes. He's whipping it out to put up the sea and let the golden stream f- uh, taking a pee. Oh, Tim was peeing. Awesome powers, peas. Just having a pee. <laughs> Evacuation comes. Com- <laughs> Evacuation. Evacuation comes. All right. <laughs> Number three, Tim. Number three. My number three, uh, we're, I, I guess uh, I'm going to sort of continue on with Christy going back in time a bit, or kind of back in time, but not really. Um, back in time! It's uh, the Beach Boys Smile. Nice! Oh, good Solid call. pick! So, you guys, I'm guessing, kind of know the story behind this album, but I'm going to tell it for our listeners. So, this was the album that was the planned follow-up to Pet Sounds, and it was really tough for me not to put Pet Sounds here, um, because... I was going to ask you about that, but... Yeah, I mean, Pet Sounds is an amazing album, too. This was supposed to be the follow-up to Pet Sounds, and they got basically everything recorded for it. But due to sort of Brian Wilson's mental issues and mental state at the time and drug use and and other drama with the band, what ended up getting released was a really sort of watered-down version of the album, which was called Smiley Smile. And then in 2011, so like five years ago, uh, they actually went back to the master tapes and edited together uh, basically what the original album was con- sort of conceived as and released it as like this huge box set with a lot of other sort of alternate takes from the sessions and stuff like that. But the core of the release was Smile as it was intended to have originally been released. I remember that. Yeah. And fuck, I mean... This is one of those sort of albums that it's one of those sort of uh, urban legend kind of things that that had built up so much hype over the years. And everybody was like, oh, God, I wish that we could hear this album as it had been originally envisioned. And finally, you know, after 40 fucking years of hype, they released it and it lived up to every single bit of it. 
Um, it was just a masterwork of American music. Um, people were calling it like, you know, the uh, American version of like Sgt. Pepper, or that sort of thing. Um, and so I think that the reason that it lived up to all of that, like 40 plus years of, of anticipation and hype is the reason that I ended up putting it on my list instead of Pet Sounds. Um, the Beach Boys for me is, is sort of similar to Christy is uh, a band that my dad really got me into. Um, he, he loved the Beach Boys even more than the Beatles. My mom was a big Beatles fan. My dad was a big Beach Boys fan. Um, and so this was now sounds kind of like my house, except it was uh, Zeppelin and then Beatles. Nice. So <laughs> my dad was Beatles. My mom was like the hard rocker. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the, this album, like it weaves through like little bits of uh, American history into it and American folk songs and stuff like that. It's got multiple pocket symphonies. Like it's got good vibrations, which is basically the good vibrations that got released and that everybody knew and loved, but it's a whole album of stuff that is of similar quality and, and vision as good vibrations. Um, so Heroes and Villains is on it as well. There's also uh, Surf's Up, which did get released, but the r- version that got released is nowhere near as good as the version that got ended up getting released on Smile. Um, and it's truly a beautiful, beautiful song that that like literally makes me tear up when I listen to it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got little bits of the Wild West and Heroes and Villains. It talks about, like, Plymouth Rock. So it really does, like, it's it's a true, like, American masterwork album. Uh, there's, like, recurring musical and lyrical themes that weave their way throughout the entire album that, you know, come back in, in and out and layer themselves over the different songs. you got, like, all those fucking beautiful, like, four and five part Beach Boys harmonies that just melt my soul. Um, in some cases they're like just on their own. There's no instruments or anything. It's just, you know, those beautiful voices, uh, singing over just with a little bit of reverb. Um, yeah. So that, that is my, uh, number three pick. And you got that. That's from your mom. Uh, my dad, dad, sorry. Yeah. Uh, my dad, uh, so, uh, my dad is a massive Beach Boys fan, and as soon as I knew that this was coming out, uh, I bought him the uh, like huge box set collection that came with like the vinyl discs and the CDs and all the sessions and a book and everything as well. Uh, and around the same time, the or maybe the next year, uh, the Beach Boys were coming through Atlanta, and it just so happened to be one right around my dad's birthday, and two when my parents were going to be visiting Atlanta. Uh, so me and my dad and my mom all went to see the Beach Boys on their like 50th anniversary tour. And it was uh, kind of a rare occasion because Brian Wilson was back playing with them. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was, I mean, even, you know, 50 years later and the fact that Brian Wilson is n- not dealing with the full deck of cards at this point, it was still an amazing, amazing experience. Yeah. Awesome. So r- one song. <laughs> I would say surfs up. I mean, heroes and villains and good vibrations are both really amazing, but that particular um, recording of surfs up has one point in it where it just builds to a beautiful crescendo. And then the last like uh, minute or so of the song is just sort of a round of acapella. Well, not, not exactly acapella, but harmonies over piano that uh, there's just a, they build upon it layer upon layer upon layer. And it's just, transcendent 
Transcendent. Yeah. Oh, okay. That that is the, that album for me is probably the closest thing I've ever had to like a religious experience. Fair enough. Um, my number three album is going to seem massively uh, <laughs> lower class than that. After that, my number three album is uh, the Matthew Good Band's Underdogs from 1997. Also an amazing album. Yeah. Um, I struggled. Uh, I knew Matthew Good was going to make it my top five. I struggled between this and Beautiful Midnight, but when it boiled down to it, um, I feel this is the album that has less tracks that I'll skip. Mm-hmm. This is an album I listen to the back, like front to back. It's also an album that like is my ni- it's a 1997 album, but like completely defines who I was probably at how old were we then? 16 between my number one album does that for me. Those two albums very much define who I was from about 17 to 22 or 23. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, just as I was figuring out who Mark was, uh, like, Matthew Good was, like, right there the whole time. Uh, Him and, like, the next one, like, are the two artists that I'll go back to repeatedly over and over again. Um, I wonder what the next one could be. uh, There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, like, I... uh, I still like avidly follow Matt like as much as possible. He's doing a tour right now and like I'll I'll go see it probably twice. But like even though this, he's a total asshole. Even though he's a total asshole. <laughs> but uh there's something this is one of those things, this is where like when we have that argument about being able to like divide the artist from the art kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I struggled with that for a long time with him because he is can be kind of a fucking douchebag when it comes to like dealing with his fans and like dealing with all this other stuff. He's mellowed with age, thankfully, but like back in the day he was kind of a fucking dick notoriously yeah but uh this album like like from from deep six to start to change the seasons at the end i don't think there's like an album they've done that's like completely like it's still an album it doesn't have like a concept to it but like there's nothing in there it's so well sequenced it's fun to play along to if you're a drummer um it's not super complicated but it's fun um i can't like it's this is where I think this is also kind of where he becomes like the definitive like to me Canadian musician that is not the tragically hip because <laughs> I can't think of a song that made as big an impact on me as Apparitions did the first time I heard it. Mm, yeah, um, that's a you were listening to that when I came on and we started. I think were you? I had I had just thrown I had these the, these albums playing like yeah back to front kind of thing and I had just gotten to Underdogs when we started up so yeah, yeah. I was probably just getting into Apparitions when you yeah came I on. I love that song too that is an amazing song and uh, good good for high school slow dances it was excellent for high school slow dances yeah <laughs> for sure um but yeah no like it it's weird because like I don't uh, it's not something like there's not a lot of information about it obviously Matthew Goods like a, a Canadian artist so like you don't really necessarily there's not I can't even find an accurate like what day this was released on kind of thing <laughs> it was one of those just like it came out in 1997 and I was like yeah. okay I still remember Once again 97 that amazing year that in music bizarrely amazing year yeah <laughs> just, um, just random confluence of events and yeah like almost I think the only band that I love that didn't put out an album in 1997 was Pearl Jam they missed it by one year on either side like they had a 1996 <laughs> album they had a 1998 album they didn't have anything in 97 yeah um but yeah underdogs uh just edges out beautiful midnight just because it was kind of my first introduction to them and it's still the record that i go back to the most that i don't feel has aged i feel it's aged the best out of all his records too yeah um yeah i still remember seeing them like at some divey shitty club in thorold like when they first were touring it it's weird like trying to get into that show because i don't like that i don't know if it was all ages or not but i was six foot five and 
bearded <laughs> by that point. Yeah. Kind of get away with it. So I ended up <laughs> in the show for that. And like, well, seeing that first music video for Everything is Automatic on Much Music on repeat, like when Much Music still played music videos back in the day. <laughs> um, Someday I'll have to tell you uh, how I snuck into a uh, Sloan show after party one, uh, one time. I think it oh, nice. at the Cool House. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I miss... Uh, it was the warehouse back in the day, like when we were yeah. on the shows all the time. I think I saw the Matthew Good Band at uh, the, the warehouse like four or five times before they broke up the, pr- the band proper. Yeah, and he moved on to being just like his own thing. But yeah, so I don't. I remember. All of, I don't. I remember buying the album at Sam the Record Man. Um, I remember my brother and sister fucking hating it because I would play it on repeat over and over <laughs> again, uh, making fun of it because like Mark's not going to listen to this. I've replaced this. Uh, this is one of the. There's not a lot of CDs that I've replaced a number of times. Um, the next three I've replaced all at least twice minimum <laughs> over the course of my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's where I heard it first time. If I got to recommend a song, I mean, everybody's heard Apparitions, probably. I mean, if you're American, you probably haven't, but like, so go yeah. listen to Apparitions. But um, Invasion One would be the song uh, I would recommend people go out and kind of like give a shot to. Yeah. And then go see him on tour. Matt needs some money. So <laughs> he's touring yeah. Beautiful Midnight right now. So it'll be a good show. That's the only way that Canadian artists can make any money. Or just a lot of artists can make any money is yeah, touring. One album, like a big yeah. album. I saw, yeah, because like this is the year I saw I Mother Earth. They got back together and toured Scenery and Fish. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that needs to be somewhere in my top like 20 it's, or 30. It's in my top 20. No, 25? Like, mm, 25. Oh. Like, ra- Raspberry is just a fucking beautiful song. Raspberry is a fantastic song. Oh. I still, there's a, do you ever hear the, um, the kind of demo y version of all those songs that they put out, like the label put out after the fact? No, I don't think so. I'll put it in a Google Drive and send it over to you. I probably shouldn't yeah. say that on a podcast, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I will distribute it to you in an entirely legal way. Entirely legal way. But uh, there's a there's a there's really rough demo versions of uh, Used to Be Alright. Um, oh, yeah. I love Used to Be Alright, too. Yeah. One to More Astronaut. Uh, shit, what was the other one? Another Sunday and Pisser. <laughs> and the version of Pisser is so raw. It's amazing. Like, you can hear him miss hitting drums and hitting rims. Like mm-hmm. it's that off the floor, but it's like really nicely cleaned up, so it's super crisp the whole time. Yeah, it's fantastic. Anyway, uh, that's my number three: is Matthew Goodband Underdogs. Uh, go listen to it. Um, all right, uh, number two. All right, my number two uh, is kind of similar to my number three in that it's, um, I think, sort of a a love lettery kind of album. Um, this is the only one I have that's from the last, like, or from this decade, basically. And it's, uh, Daft I don't Punk's, have any of those. <laughs> it's, uh, Daft Punk's random access memories. Oh, uh, okay. And it's just a fucking beautiful love letter to the history of electronic music. Like I, I would liken it to an episode of the ongoing history of new music and an amazing homage all in one kind of thing. Yeah. Um so I mean I I would say that this this album more than any other album I've ever heard every single track like makes me want to dance and move and I'm that's that's a very rare thing for me. Um it's full of just absolutely outstanding seamless collaborations like Instant Crush with Julian Casablancas. 
Um, Feral Williams is on a couple of tracks. Uh, Panda Bear's track is really good. Um, Giorgio Moroder, who is like basically the grandfather of electronic music, does a really good uh, tune on it. Paul Williams, a legendary songwriter and artist, is on it. And Chili Gonzalez, who Canadian, isn't he? He's a Canadian uh, pianist. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, he has a really good track on it as well. Um, so the, this is the album basically where um, Daft Punk said, okay, we've sort of gone as far as we can go with electronic music. Let's try and do as much as we can while still sort of keeping our sound with you know live musicians and live band. And uh, they bring in like... Uh, I mean, there's still those electronic aspects to it, but they don't sample very much on the album, which was what they're doing a lot on their earlier albums. I I almost put Discovery on here because Discovery is also an amazing album as well, but I think Random Access Memories... The the fact that this has become one of my favorite albums in such a short span of time in just a few years, I think, really speaks to the quality of it. Um, It's a long album. There's, There's 14 songs on it. A lot of them are over five minutes long, but everyone is solid and none of them I think like sort of overstay their welcome. Like some of their older songs, maybe um, especially on a live got kind of repetitive um, at times. And this album did not fall into that pitfall. Like there, there's definitely songs where they're, you know, going back and forth over the same themes, but they're adding stuff to it each time and making it kind of new. And there's, like this is this entire album i could just like lay back in a chair with like really like i've got a really nice set of clip speakers on my uh uh, home theater system and i'll just crank up the bass and listen to it and just um let this album like just wash over me in like a wave of catharsis um yeah I can just close my eyes and I've got one friend in particular. I uh, don't know if he listens to the podcast yet or not, but uh, if he does, Joel, uh, he, he and I really bonded over this album as well. And we had multiple nights where we would just sit back and listen to it. And he would sit on my, uh, my sub when uh, doing it right with Panda Bear uh, <laughs> came on. Like, like, the, like the Howard Stern thing. Yeah, there's this there's this point in the song where the bass drops like and it's a really low just like bass line and he, it it just sounds amazing and I guess feels pretty amazing too <laughs> on his butthole. Yeah. <laughs> so this is one that I've uh uh I don't have on CD but I do have on vinyl. Because mm. uh, it seemed seemed like a really appropriate album to have on vinyl. And that was another one that I think that was given to me as a gift. I think Joel, I can't remember if Joel or my wife gave that one to me as a gift. I remember um, Eric making a big fuss about that record when it came out too. Um, oh. He, uh, it took him a while because I'm not, I'm not usually big on like anything that's even like remotely electronic. So mm-hmm. unless it's like being layered on top of like an actual live band, that's my own fucking personal hang up is that I have to be able to feel somebody playing something and and here you can like there's there's piano there's guitar there's horns there's like full orchestra there's choir exactly what i was going to say i'm like this is an album where like in spite of the fact that it's got all that layered electronic noise to it like Mm -hmm. has that you can still feel the live band underneath it which is something that like he's not on this list but like will be in a a later out thing like a nine inch nails kind of feel where like Mm -hmm. yeah he sequenced a bunch of shit to do it but he still has like there's still a Dave Grohl drum track underneath it kind of thing, like that kind of feeling, which I think yeah. like that Daft Punk album definitely has in spades. So. Yeah. 
So, yeah, that's my number two pick. That That's an album, too, that I really love for, like, night driving. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm just driving, like, either it doesn't have to be, like, could be in a city, could be on, like, you know, the loneliest country road, but I can just turn on that album and just uh, and just sort of melt away into it. I always feel like it would put me to sleep, but, I mean, it's loud enough that it wouldn't, but I feel like just, like, the the repetitive nature of electronic music tends to kind of, like, drone me down kind of thing. But this doesn't fall into those same pitfalls. Like, I, I could see that if you're listening to something like Discovery, but in this case, like, uh, it, it takes me away and sort of engages me in, in a way that um, no electronic music, you know, purely electronic music ever has. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, I'll do my number two. Uh, my number two is not going to surprise anybody, I don't think. Um, <laughs> it's Pearl Jam's 10. No, no. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I have, I have this struggle between like just saying like this is their, this is the album, or like I want to say I want to be more hipstery and say like Yield or Vitalogy or something like that. But when it comes down to it, like you can't argue with that track list. Like these are the songs that like define this band to this day. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason for that. Um, I may not go back and actually listen to the al- actual album that much anymore, but like when these songs come up live, then I'm like a hundred percent in like, these are, these are my songs. This is my band. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like 1991 uh, released actually, oddly enough, about a month before Nevermind came out and did nothing. That's earlier than I thought it would have been released. I thought it would have been like 92 or 93 at least. August 27th, 1991. Hmm. I have, I have I can't remember my I can barely remember my own birthday, but I remember when <laughs> ten came out. Um, yeah, so it was recorded in Seattle. Obviously, like the whole story, everybody I don't know if everybody knows it, but like uh, the guys Stone and Jeff were uh, in a band called Mother Love Bone with a guy named Andy Wood. Andy died of a heroin overdose, um, and after a little while of soul searching, they started to put a band back together. Recruited Mike McCready and in the weirdest circular, like we're going to get this drummer back eventually kind of thing. Uh, Matt Cameron and put a from Soundgarden and put a demo together that made its way back down to San Diego um, via Pearl Jam drummer number one, two, three, four, uh, Jack Irons uh, to Eddie Vedder who heard the album or heard the tape recorded his own vocals over top of it, sent it back to stone and Jeff um, who immediately were like, oh, this is the fucking guy. <laughs> we got to get him to Seattle. So he packed up his shit in a pickup truck, drove up. I think he might have flew, but drove up to Seattle. We'll say drove for the sake of drama. <laughs> um, got together with these guys and immediately hit it off. Uh, they had most of what is now on 10 rec- like recorded and written within the first weekend. Um, I'm just looking at the track list. There's definitely tracks on this album that I don't i i don't know just by the name like i might know to, to hear them but can't like hum the tune to myself just based on the name i'd be curious which ones you don't know <sighs> any of the last three like garden deeper release i don't know oh, if I could. you would know you would know garden if you heard it i guarantee yeah. you that much hey. I, <laughs> just gonna you know, just, just reappears a wild yeah. christy reappears <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> level uh, 22 a fantastic piece just appeared. we'll come back around for you for number two I'm, I'm doing like we did tim's and we're doing mine we'll come back for you to you and then um, keep going okay my, I'm mine sorry, was listener. random access memories Ooh. yeah daft punk mine's pearl jam's 10 so there you go of course we're talking it's pearl about, jam of course it's pearl jam <laughs> um that was about my response to you yeah 
none of these will surprise anybody that is listening to this that knows me. They're going to be like, yeah, we know all this shit, Mark. It'll be like the next episode where they're like, oh, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't remember the first time I heard this thing. I do remember that I still have the completely worn out copy of this that doesn't play in any CD player in the world anymore from being played <laughs> so many times. No um, matter how much toothpaste you rub into it? No matter how much toothpaste or how much resurfacing I've done to it, it will never <laughs> play again. I still have it, though, because this is the album. Like, this yeah. is my record. Um, you should give it to Mark's store. He has disc surfacers. No, it's my. I don't even care that it doesn't play No, anymore. no, 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 no. I mean, just to try and see one more time. <laughs> no, it, at this point, it's just holds sentimental value. It's just like, it was probably... It may not be the first... The first album I ever bought for myself was probably Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> this is probably right after that. Um, yeah. I like. I could talk about Pearl Jam for like three hours if I really <laughs> wanted to sit here and get into it. Um, but like, The average listening time is only an hour and a half though, Mark. I know. Um, <laughs> and we're already past that. And we're already past that. We're always <laughs> already past that. I know. Um, <laughs> That's what our podcast should be called. Already past that. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the title of this week's episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm assuming at this point everybody's heard this record. Like, I don't think, I think if you're a rock fan, it's kind of like just part of the package they send you. Oh, Christy's shaking her head. You've never heard 10? Uh, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. You, this nine, is. This- I'll, ex- I'll, ex- I'll excuse the I don't other think ones. that's on this album. I'll excuse the other ones. You have to at least listen to 10. Okay. Make um, me a mixtape. I, I, no, no. I'll this, just, that's just 10. You're just getting 10. <laughs> oh, I'm getting 10 CDs? No, you're getting... Like, the album is called 10. You're getting so 10. 10 CDs. I'm yes. getting 10. Yes. With one song each, and you're going to have to get up and flip from one song <laughs> oh, no, to Alive, really. to Wygo, to Black, to Jeremy, to Porch... On and on and on. I was wondering when the voice was going to come up. I knew someone. Okay, I will listen to 10. Dear God. Things I hate about you. (laughs) (laughs) I still have that. The the voice is one reason that that I've. I have the elf picture. (laughs) Eddie Vedder's voice is one reason that, uh, that. I mean, I don't hate it. But it's not my favorite, and it's one reason that Pearl Jam is not like up there in like my top top bands. Yeah, but he's the guy who created that voice. Like, he is. Yeah, you're knocking I'm, him for everybody else ripping him off. I know everybody. Oh. Everybody in the three day theory of a D Nickel Creed. Yeah. Oh yeah, the three day theory of Nickel Creed. Yeah. All came after Eddie, and then like once all that shit happened, Eddie stopped singing that way anyway. So if you go listen to a. <laughs> Like more modern Pearl Jam album, his voice doesn't even sound like that anymore. Oh, does he sound like Patton Oswalt more now? <laughs> yes, he sounds like Patton Oswalt. Every time Patton Oswalt sings a song, Patton Oswalt sings songs. No, he just does that voice. You guys no. are the worst. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Pearl Jam's ten. I got. I knew I was gonna get shit for having the Pearl Jam on there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I mean, it's it's it sets it's it's a product of that time for sure. Like it is a sort of musical moment caught in amber. Yeah, it uh, it definitely is. Um, it encapsulates that early '90s grunge feel for sure. Yeah, and as somebody who uh, I sometimes feel like I never left the '90s, it is very <laughs> much. Dream of the '90s is alive in Mark's house. 
<laughs> Very much so. Christy is drinking and it's starting to show now. I had half a beer. I had half a beer. <laughs> you should have seen her with like a shot and a half in her on Saturday. Did you, oh, geez. Did you give us your uh, your track pick off it? No. Uh, go listen to Porch. That is also, oddly enough, my favorite song of all time. Should okay. I listen to Porch on a Porch with a guy named Jeremy? <laughs> While smoking crack. <sighs> if it's a homeless guy named Jeremy, then you, you're hitting even flow, too. So. Ooh. <laughs> I'll just walk through the streets of Hamilton. Jeremy? And a, Jeremy? A, a black uh, homeless guy? Yeah, there black you go. Jeremy? <laughs> That's racist. Blair me. <laughs> if you walk through a garden with him on your way to the porch, and then you go, yeah. and then he releases deep inside you. <laughs> Interestingly enough, deep. No, thank you. It's about rape. Um, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Ted is not a good, not a happy album. It's a very dark <laughs> album. Listen to it then. This explains so much about your brood. <laughs> That's true. My brood. My family. A brood. Brooding. You mean my brooding? His broody characteristics. Uh-huh. Ah, yes, you're brooding. My number one might explain that even more, so... Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what your number one's going to be now, given uh, that we've already see, hit Matt Good, and... Uh, there's a surprise I don't know, for you. I don't know. Uh, you guys could probably pick what my number one is, but... No one will ever pick my number one. No, no probably one not. will ever pick But it. we still need to hear your number two, Christy. Ah, okay. And not... Another? I don't, I don't want to hear you shitting on a microphone. <laughs> Who does number two, <laughs> two work, work for? Who does number two <laughs> Hey, uh, buddy, can we? Uh, can you do me the uh, the courtesy of a <laughs> get a courtesy flush, please? Yeah. We're gonna get this. We're gonna get through this together, buddy. You and me. Uh, <laughs> you know what's funny? That's the only Austin Powers reference we make is the shitting joke from Austin. I've Powers made one. the mole well, we, one a few times. We no. made the pissing one tonight. We just did. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we yeah. did. <laughs> wow, so many Austin Powers references tonight. Yeah, I know. And all from the first movie too. Is oh no, sorry, the mole one's not the first movie. That's right. Sorry, that's the third one, isn't it? <laughs> Chris is doing a visual, visual, yeah, visual Austin Powers bits. Them bot boob shot. Alright. Number two album, Christy. Um, this was another one I had trouble deciding between two, but I will say what my okay. So <laughs> my it's gonna be Death Cab for Cutie. Nice. And um it was a hard sell between plans and transatlanticism. But um I'd have to say transatlanticism. Nice. Good pull. Yeah. Even more indie than my arcade fire pool. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I meant plans. <laughs> no, I meant transatlantic, not plans. Were you careful <laughs> Were you careful not to cut yourself there, Emo, while you were picking that album? Oh, um, see, when I listen to it, yeah, it's actually pretty Emo. It was my <laughs> This Boy Doesn't Love Me CD for the summer. Um, I heard it the first time on that. It was also, that was my other thing when I mentioned my Imogen pick. Um, it was the other song tracks that populated um, that blank CD, that and Weezer. Um, but uh, yeah, Plans and Transatlanticism were both on this on the CD, and are the big the big picks. And I just remember like I would put it on and sit on my cabin's like bunk bed and just cry when James didn't love me. <laughs> and I'd I just be like, ah. 
similar story about a girl named Stacy and Matthew Goodband's underdogs that you like. I didn't tell on the podcast, but it's not maybe not crying. Pretty Manly much just tears. told it. Mainly, <laughs> and that's pretty but much. No, it. this one was. Um, I I really like this guy, but uh, we dated for like two months. My dad made us break up because it wasn't camp anymore, and he wasn't going to drive me to Paris, Ontario. <laughs> and, um. I was like super impressed about it, but moved along. You fell for a parasite? Yeah. I lived in Brantford, and that's what we called them. What can I say? It grew on me. <laughs> but anyway, um, and uh, we got back to camp, and I realized I was totally, absolutely in love with him. He was the first love, and um, not requited, though, because he started dating my friend. And I had to watch them fall in love all summer. And so all I did was listen to Death Cab for Cutie and like cry. And it was so cathartic and lovely. And I'd like take my CD player and go on late walks by myself at night with like headphones on dangerous in the woods. I was just going to say that's that's safe. Uh, Actually, pretty much for a tiny blonde girl, that's not safe anywhere. Having headphones in and wandering around late at night. Actually, the it's probably safer than the streets because people weren't searching for me uh, most of the time in the jung in the woods in the jungle. <laughs> the jungle, in the, jungle. The, the mighty jungle, the jungle. There you go. That's even better. So um, we got blondes and something. I definitely had my share of unrequited uh, camp love stories as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I never did camp. Oh, I, did. I was only ever a counselor, and it was wonderful and horrible. Did you fall? So wait. So this guy was like another counselor. Yeah. Um. But what happened was. Um, How old, approximately? Uh, are you guys sixteen? I was sixteen. I don't know how I feel about the idea of having sixteen-year-olds in charge of children. It's fine. Uncomfortable. <laughs> well, they weren't the only ones in charge. Yeah, we weren't. There were, were older, older people. people as well. Yeah. It we feels like one of those like psychology tests where you put like people like call them guards and then some in people call them prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it sucks so bad because like I was going to tell him that I loved him and I, well, not that I loved him. I was like, I want to date again. And I was sitting with my friend um, and I was staying at her house and she, we just like dyed my hair again and like I'd gotten all prettied up. And I was like, just by the way, I noticed you guys flirt a lot. Do you guys, do you like him? Because if you do, just tell me and I'll, I'll, I'll try and move past it. She was like, no, friends come first. Bros before, before hoes in the whole world? Is that what you're two trying to Two hours say? later, they were cozying up next to me in the movie theater while oh. Mr. and Mrs. Smith's opening credits played. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, that's, I can't handle this. That's and the I, worst fucking oh like, night ever. Not only is so, that movie it gets horrible. Worse. It gets worse. <laughs> so I run out of the theater, like literally run and find, this is in Ancaster and um, at the Silver City. And um, I found it was pouring rain, just like sheets of like warm rain. And I hid behind a dumpster because I heard this girl coming after me being like, Christy, Christy, please, I'm sorry. And I'm just hiding behind this dumpster, like getting soaked, just crying and being like, ow, ow. Because like my heart hurt. I It was so, it hurt so bad. And um for an hour and a half, I just like rocked back and forth in the rain, just like crying and like weeping. And I thought I finally had it together. So I went into the chapters to like clean myself up the whole time Death Cab is playing in my brain and <laughs> um, just tie it back to the theme. And um, uh, I went into the chapter. And I was like, I got caught in the rainstorm. Do you have a bathroom? And the girl was just looking at me like, yeah, 
it's in the back. And I went back and my face was like so red and blotchy because of how hard I've been crying. But not only that, all of my hair dye had come out and settled on my skin. So I had like just a red face of like ruined hair and depression. And then I had to stay at her house that night. (laughs) Awkward. I had to watch them fall in love. And then they were together for a whole nother year. And at their one year anniversary, which was at the camp, he was an artist. So he painted her all these pictures of the big moments in their relationship. And the first fucking picture was tickets of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. (laughs) (laughs) And Christy's not at all bitter about this to this day. If I could open my arms. Wow. What is happening right now? Like I I got into Death Cab actually before Transatlanticism, like uh on what photo album and um uh you groovy hipster you. Yep. Yeah, well and uh what else? And something about airplanes, like in like I, I saw them perform when what would they I guess they would have been touring the photo album. Um and then like they hit really big and I was like, This is not as good for me. Uh, <laughs> see, uh um those two were my first Death Cab albums and they're still my favorites. I can't I just love them so much. Yeah. I love them. So I, st- I mean, I still like plans and, and transatlantic system still ha- have a couple, you know, still have great songs on them, but they just aren't my, my they're not my death cab. Yeah. But g- give up uh, the postal service oh. give up is, was one that I, I, it really hurt me not to put in my top five. Oh yeah. Postal service. That's the, that's their best album by far. No question. And that like, it was hard for me not well, to include postal their, service. It's their only album. Oh, I thought they had two. Postal Service? No. I mean, they've had, like, EPs and stuff like that, but that was their only, like, full album. Well, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) um, (laughs) um, No, Postal Service is outstanding as well. Like, just so good. But anyway, yeah. We'll get to that uh, in our next step, so that'll that'll show up somewhere in my 6 to 10, I'm pretty sure. I feel like there was that, there's, like, a period of time. This was, how? Because you're the same age as me, Tim. All this indie stuff... I feel like it was like because I went to school twice, mm-hmm. whatever. So like I did college right. and then went to like I went to Brock for a degree. Oh, like I thought I went you meant you went to high school twice. No, no fuck, <laughs> God no, Jesus! I would never have made it past eighteen. I'm a sadist. <laughs> um, but like that was like all that stuff you guys are talking about, all this like indie mm-hmm. emo-y stuff. It just feels like the soundtrack to my years at Brock because like that's what everybody, all the hipster kids that like worked in around me and stuff, were all listening to all the time. Yeah, that's my people. So for yeah. me, like that, that was the time when I was like really discovering music on my own. Like I didn't really have anybody that was um, that. Uh, I didn't have anybody that was like showing me music or anything like that. So I was just kind of finding whatever on my own. And in a lot of cases I was like, uh, going to shows by myself, like in Toronto, I'd take like the go bus in or something like that. To this day, I still go to shows by myself because nobody will go see some of the shit that I want to listen to. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I would more often now if I had the time and the money, um, and at that time I had like the, the time and the money. So yeah. like I went to see like death cab and, uh, fucking like 
uh, Polyphonic Spree and all these really oh, random bands um, in like that in that period in that early two thousands. I remember going uh, and like I think my brother gave me shit after the fact because I went like nobody would give these guys the chance, but like the National when they first oh, yeah. came around oh, around God. Alligator. Oh. Yeah. They'll 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 be in my they're in my top ten. Uh, yeah. I just got to decide which one. Um, we're not doing that tonight, are we? No, 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 no. no. Oh, okay. Uh, that, we not we told you the series idea, right? Like we're going to do the top five tonight, and then we're going to do like keep going down the fives, six, six to ten, and then yeah, eleven yeah. to fifteen. Until until you can until you need to drop out, and then Tim and I'll just keep going until we yeah. get through fifty or seventy-five <laughs> or whatever. We end up drop out after tonight because I. Well, that's not true. But all my <laughs> albums will be like Edsing and Backstreet Boys. No. That's fine. Oh, we'll just make fun of them. We'll just yeah. make fun of them. So we're back, we're into number one now. So we'll start. Christy just did her number two. So why don't, Tim, why don't you do number one? I'm going to leave you guys in suspense. I'm going last because I feel like Tim doesn't know what my number one is, <laughs> and right. I want to surprise him. Coop, 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 coop. Uh, my number one is uh, is kind of one. This was a coming of the coming of age album for me for sure. Even though I already said that one was, but uh, Spice Girls, yes. Yeah, exactly. You got it. <laughs> I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Mm. Yeah. People of the world. Spice up your your lives. My number one is... That's where uh, I lost faith in humanity when those bands started coming out. No, now I don't want to. Why? Beer. My number one is Pinkerton by Weezer. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Solid <laughs> choice. Actually, I probably uh, could have, if, if you'd given me a couple minutes, I probably could have thought of that. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I probably would have said Blue Album for you. And it's tough. Blue Album Blue oh, Album green. is definitely up there for me, for sure. Wait, um, wait. Did you just say the green one? You like the green one the best? No, the blue. No. No, Pink, no. Her, her. Her. Did you say that? Yes. You like oh, no. the green album better than Pinkerton and the Blue Album? I don't think I've heard those two. Oh God! All right. Well, like, now Tim, I have to send Christy us, a, an album with you... ten tracks as well. Oh uh, my So God. Pinkerton, Pinkerton came out in '96, which was right when I was in high school. I'd been, I'd heard uh, the Blue album and really liked it, but um, I mean, this is another album that just like fucking changed music. Uh, it really captured my sort of late teen, like white boy urban angst. Like this is the the album that sort of made people start to feel like it was okay to really just lay yourself fucking lay your soul bare in a song um because this is yeah i mean this is the album where rivers just fucking laid everything out on the table like all his emotions all his feeling there's a reason that this album is sort of for better or for worse widely regarded as the album that started emo yeah that's true that's very Um, true and i mean I I fall in and out with emo. I've got certain bands that I like and certain that I can't stand, but this is I mean this is the proto emo uh and it's again it's it's stuff that nobody else is really doing in terms of lyrical content in terms of music. It brought back a lot of that like sort of um you know power poppy stuff that Weezer did really well on the Blue album, but it was just a little more raw and a little more a little um sort of uh, unrestrained and and sloppier, uh, and I mean, Rivers 
was like I said really like laying his soul bare in terms of like the difficulties that he was experiencing in terms of coping with his like you know newfound sort of rock star status because as we sort of talked about on a previous episode this was a time when these musicians would like literally become like you know massive rock stars kind of thing it's like the last generation of them too right like yeah that was probably the last time where like a, a guy with a guitar would be that famous yeah because that is not a thing anymore I was going to say, as a side note, um, I confused the Green and Blue album because I don't know the albums very well, but I know I know all, like, Blue album was the best. I had confused them because I'm looking at it now, and of course I know My Name is Jonas and Buddy Holly and Say It Ain't So and the Sweater yeah. Song. Like, yeah, I know all that. I'm sorry. I got that confused. I'm sorry <laughs> I, and made you rage. <laughs> Good. Faith restored. The Green Album's not a bad album. It's just no, that, but like, I, I, you know what it is? I remember the cover of the Green Album. As yeah, because it's the same the as the cover of the Blue yeah. Album. But I, I had... Um, one different person. I think yeah. oh, I'm... Yeah, I don't know. They never recovered from losing him. No, and, this, and th- that's the other thing, is this was the last album before um, their bass player, uh, Matt Sharp, left. Mm. And uh, it really marked a, a really serious departure. And on top of that, I mean... Um, Rivers just got sort of broken when this album was released and it didn't do as well as he thought it did. And he had put so much of himself into it that he basically retreated from music for years until basically the green album came out and the green album was just full of super safe, really poppy music. And it was still had some good tracks, but it wasn't the same as this by any stretch. Um, there's also a lot of, uh, I mean, this album is really heavily influenced by uh, the the Puccini opera, Madame Butterfly. Such, um, such a beautiful opera. Yeah. And uh, so it pulls in a lot of those same kind of themes um, in terms of sort of depth of emotion, sadness, tragedy, uh, the, even the last song, which is one of the best most sort of beautiful songs on the album. It's is the called Butterfly. For, it's the inspiration for Pixar's Inside Out. <laughs> <laughs> uh maybe maybe indirectly i i can i could see it i'm just way. like i'm just shitting upon your beautiful sentiment sorry yeah <laughs> butterfly was the last album go on it was beautiful what are you saying <laughs> uh yeah i think that's more or less all i had to say about it um but when pinkerton uh came out it was not, yeah, it wasn't a huge hit, but I remember like it was one of those slow burn albums that like took a lot of people a long time to get into, myself included. Because uh, by then I was like fully engrossed in being like a shitty record nerd. Um, so by the time Pinkerton came out, I was just like, "Yep, I need to hear the new Weezer album, so that I can crap yeah. on it because it's probably not going to be as good as the first one." And at first, I didn't think it was. Um, it's the one that like three months later I would listen to it again and be like, "Oh wait, I'm fucking stupid." This album's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, why are they not touring this? <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw I saw them when they they did the Pinkerton tour a couple years ago. Just like played it all at Pinkerton. Oh yeah, I wish I could have seen that. Yeah, they played in Even, Toronto, so yeah. It was uh, uh, it was nice to hear these songs like played live because like he shied away from them for so long. The first time I saw Weezer was like Green Album, and it was like yeah, me yeah, too. Blue album, Green album, pretty much all of it. I don't even think they played El Scorcho on that tour. Like it wasn't even like not even get El Scorcho. You know what I mean? Yeah, El Scorcho we played uh, in my band in high school, and it was one of the few songs that I uh, that I sang. 
Oh, really? Yeah. You have I sang and played bass on it. Girls. Okay. You do uh, to me every time. time. Weezer was one of those bands that, like, I never, I never quite like, I never quite hit with me, but I respect greatly for those first two records. Like, I love that Blue album. Like, that's a, yeah. that's a catchy album and yeah, surprising, surprisingly metal. Uh, when you get into like the way, like the guitar work on it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a heavier album. It's it's more raw and sort of uh, just just loose and. Uh, and yeah, definitely has a lot more of that sort of heavier rock influence to it. Yeah, which I, I like. I, I've always missed in their stuff since then. Um, yeah, me too. There's they've been getting back into it a little bit on like certain tracks, um, but not in the same way. Obviously, like the I don't think they'll ever recapture this sort of era. But uh, I think Chrissy's still singing El Scorcho to herself. No, singing the sweater song. Oh. <laughs> Watch me unravel. I'll soon be naked. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I, I fucking love. <laughs> I fucking love the Blue album. Like, uh, in the garage is yeah. maybe my favorite Weezer song of all time because it's really one of those songs that made me sort of help me reconcile the fact that I was a nerd and I didn't have to be like ashamed of that. Um, but this al- this entire album together. Uh, really sort of helped me sort of reconcile my emotional self with my like intellectual self, I guess. Oh, Jesus. That's yeah. The deepest We're thing getting I've fucking heard. deep. Wow. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Mm. So that's my number one album of all time is 20 years old this year. Pinkerton by Weezer. Wow. Weezer is though, just like overall, just in their prime, they were so solid. Like they had this cult following that a lot their of bands. Their two album like, prime. Yeah, their two album prime. Yeah. Two point five. Um, <laughs> but uh, they had this cult following of punky '90s kids who weren't quite ready to let that go. Yeah, and they they, they had a lot of really good B sides and stuff like that too. Yeah. Like if you go back and look into their like um, catalog around this time, like stuff that they were releasing on like the DGC Rarities albums or on soundtracks. Um, or like uh, as B-sides on singles and stuff like that. There's some fucking amazing stuff there, too. I feel like they suffered from uh, that 90s, like, Kurt Cobain, like, we don't want to be popular, so we're going to shy away from releasing the good stuff kind of thing that uh, a lot of bands fell into in that time period. Mm. Maybe not as much as, like, Pearl Jam did. Pearl Jam, like, self-sabotaged a lot of their albums in terms of, like, making them listenable to... just to be obtuse but i feel like weezer like to a certain extent uh especially like with pinkerton rivers kind of just like veered so far into the one direction where it was like this is not going to be acceptable like as pop music it's going to be acceptable to a bunch of record nerds in 10 years yeah we're still listening to it but like when they first put it out everybody was expecting like and praying for blue album part two and it was not that and it was not an immediate kind of pickup to listen to yeah so it was it's a difficult kind of like thing to go yeah, and this is another album that I have on, I mean, I have it on CD and I've had it on CD forever, but I've also gone it on vinyl a couple of years ago. Um, but I don't remember, I, I probably didn't get it in 97. I probably didn't get it maybe until like the next year or something like that. And it was the sort of thing where like I wasn't following music closely enough at this point to be like, oh, a new Weezer album is coming out. Like I just oh. f- sort of happened upon it in a record store kind of thing. And it was like, holy shit, I love the Blue album. I'm going to get this. And mm. then got it home and I was like, wow, this is different, but I love it. Mm. I was, uh, I was, I think I was working at Cineplex Odeon at that point. 
and literally spending like every paycheck, like seventy five percent of it would just go like this is pre future shop having CDs in the stores. Yeah. Um, going over to Sam the Record Man and just like I'd buy three or four albums a week. It was Sunrise for me. Uh, yeah, we had a Sam S- yeah. Sunrise or uh, HMV. I knew the people in that store knew me by name. They'd be like, "Oh, it's Tuesday. Mark must have got like <laughs> Mark's got money and new album days up. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna he's gonna buy like s- at least two, probably eight CDs this week. <laughs> I would I would walk out of there every week, and then like I'd get into those weird weeks where I'd be like, "Oh, I just discovered like the Catherine Wheel." So I'm gonna go in there and force Get them to order all, all eight of their albums, yeah. and just like walk out with all of them. And this is when CDs were like we're not talking like twelve dollars CDs, like late nineties, twenty twenty five bucks or something, twenty five bucks to get those yeah. first like the first two or three Catherine Wheel albums, and they might come down in price a little bit to like eighteen after that. And it was like fuck, yeah, fuck. But <laughs> now they're all crated up somewhere. I could have bought a house <laughs> or a car, but I bought records. You build, you build a house with them. Maybe it's entirely possible. <laughs> it's I, awesome. Uh, it's funny. While you guys were buying that, sorry, I was out like getting things like the Moulin Rouge soundtrack and the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. Hey, let's be fair. The Moulin Rouge soundtrack is amazing. It's true. Well, the I'll Prince give, of Egypt one, one up too. Yeah. Deliverance. But yeah, no, I was, uh, I was, yeah, I was buying like Zeppelin albums by the fucking like handful at that point. So I, I've. I don't have individual. I don't have individual uh, Zeppelin albums. I've got box sets. I got them all. Got like them I've all. Got that, yeah, I've got that really big box set with the crop circles on the front that has like all yeah, of the, the four, albums. The yeah. four disker. That's only yeah. four discs. That's oh yeah, it's only one through four, right? No, yeah, it's a greatest hits technically. Oh, is it? It's a compilation. There is a box set of a fully remastered ten disc like Zeppelin thing you can get. I have it. Uh, yeah. It's got all the albums in it, but it's beautiful. Um, yeah. I don't know where it is. I think my mom probably stole it from me at this point. It's probably <laughs> at my mom's house. She sounds like a Zeppelin Along fan. with your dog. She's, yeah, along with my dog. Um, the dog actually is the one who likes Zeppelin. Yeah. Harley, no, not so much. Big John Stewart fan. She would sit with me and watch The Daily Show, but not nice. uh, the music, not so much. Um, number one, Christy. Okay. I, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but it's always been our number one record. It's what started me on my love of storytelling um, and the She's Irish. preambling a lot. I feel like we're going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> is this even a music album or is it spoken word? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> I apologize. I like I interrupt ever. So. No, I all the time. <laughs> I'm just like Tim's trying to talk and I'm like that. I'm literally you're. I, if I had to like take a tally of who I mute the most, it's you. <laughs> but we're not muting you right now. No, if you would talk, we wouldn't have to mute you. Depressed now. Aw, cupcake. <laughs> Stop okay. acting. I'm not acting. I'm quite sad. Acting. Um, acting. First of all, the audience can't see all your beautiful camera work, so. <laughs> All your facial expressions are only being used on Tim and I. You screenshot them. Uh, I haven't screenshotted at all tonight, actually. That's good. Anyway, my favorite album of all time is Spanish Train and Other Stories by Krista Berg. Hmm. No fucking clue. I knew it. I knew it. Tell us. Tell us about it. You guys are all like, oh, Chris doesn't know this album. Chris doesn't know this album. Little do you know, Chris DeBerg, Lady in Red was one of his big songs. You know, the Lady I know, okay. in First Red. First of all, I know who he is. Okay. I just, 
Never heard the name of that album. Okay. If you want, if you want to be smug and superior, you can continue to do that. But why don't you tell us about the record? <laughs> so just turn your nose up at us. I am visual. Spanish Train and Other Stories is um, a compilation of stories that he like wrote and created into pieces of like beautiful lyricism so spanish train um the the front of the album is actually a picture of the devil and god reaching out to touch each other holding different cards because the song itself is about the devil and christ playing uh playing poker to win souls um and the devil cheats and so he wins uh more and more and more souls um, because Christ will never cheat, but it's like all about the train conductor's spirit that they're vying for. Because um, he, the devil needs the train conductor to run the the train to the, get pick up the souls of the dead. And he's just like got this crazy Irish wail that I, I'm, I'm not selling it. But um, it's like like a like a humpback whale or a blue whale. No, he's. I like, also like to point out the Spanish train sounds like a sex act. So yeah, <laughs> totally does. But um, no, it was it was scary though because like it it was another one my dad introduced us to. He probably shouldn't have, but um, <laughs> and uh, I remember growing when, up to like uh, "Bad Out of Hell" by Meatloaf. Like, you want to talk about inappropriate I, shit yeah. for your kids to listen Seriously. to? Like, oof. but anyway, um, so I remember this one time we were. Uh, we were out camping in the East Coast. We had a tent trailer, and all of us were, you know, trailing and trailering and camperin'. And um, I heard a train go by, and I peed the bed. I was so upset. Oh, I was like, "Oh God, it's coming!" Embarrassing but, um, stories with Christy. We oh, had another go. Go. <laughs> Um But uh, the other songs on it, there's one called like "The Artist," and it's about a man who. Um, paid for um, uh, an artist to come and paint a portrait of his beautiful wife. And then, like, the lyrics start to get a little bit more disjointed and he starts to sound a little more intense. And by the end, you realize he's murdered the artist and his wife and he's actually telling the story to people in a straitjacket in an insane asylum. Man, this sounds like some Nick Cave shit. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But then, like, what you hear is, um, like, the last note of the song is just, and it's just, like, the door closing. Um, Like Tom Waits or some shit. Yeah, but like, uh, he also has these gorgeous, gorgeous songs like, um, oh, the, uh, the tower, which is all about a woman who, um, happened upon a tower and a man fell in love with her, a king, but, um, he knew she would leave him, so he cast a spell on her and turned into a dove, and she suffered within a cage for years and years and years, and he wished she would love him, but she never would, and, um... Oh, the painter, not the artist, the painter. There's another one called Patricia the Stripper, which is all about a woman named Patricia who gets brought uh, up on charges of stripping, but she ends up stripping for the court, so they let her go. Um, A Spaceman Came Traveling is all about, like, this idea of, um, you know, it's the birth of Jesus, but at the same time, it's actually a man from the future comes down to uh, kind of negate the theory that Christ was this you know this big thing it was just that he was uh from another time to prove that future and technology could exist it's beautiful it's beautiful stuff beautiful beautiful stories and it's just okay listen to it listen to it it's so good and it's it's i i can't I, i don't really know how to give you the hard sell because like 
You're giving us the hard sell. It's very particular. That's fine. I mean, I do love murder ballady kind of stuff. So you love Spanish Train. (laughs) And uh, the painter too, actually. But yeah, you would like the painter in uh, Spanish Train. It's just like it's the the scariness of it almost in a way. Um, Oh, it's just it's all so good. Cool. Yeah, just listen to it. Uh, So good. Awesome. Um, so, what's do you have? The, like, did you say one song? Like, what's the one song? Probably Spanish Train. But if you're in for a laugh, if you're in for a laugh, listen to Patricia Stripper. Still sounds like a sex act to me. <laughs> but yeah, it's quite creepy. Okay, so number one, and I know Tim's waiting because he's not sure what it is. Bated uh, breath. Bated breath, like drum roll. Like, <laughs> No, uh, my number one album is U2's Octung Baby. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, I should have known it was U2. You said you were going to talk about U2 later. I already knew that was going to be your number one. Yeah. Did you know Octung Baby was going to be my number one though? Uh, I figured it would be something like you know, U2. U2. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it would be one of uh, U2's albums. Um, <laughs> like a, one of their one of their few. <laughs> This is like this is totally like an album that I grew up with in the house. Um, my mom, who I've mentioned a million times, but like is a giant, like massive U2 fan. Um, the first CD that ever got brought into the house was Octung Baby, and we probably listened to it. At some point, I may have actually been sick of this album. I doubt it, but it's possible from how much it got played. Um, but now it is pretty much it's a flawless album like there's not a bad song on it um is recorded in like not the best circumstances for you two having come off of uh the massive success of joshua tree and then the kind of disappointment of rattle and hum in 1988 uh they describe it like themselves as the sound of or specifically zoo station the first song on it uh it's the sound of four men chopping down the joshua tree yeah, there's there's definitely songs on this album that I don't think I've heard. Holy shit, really? Octung Baby? And I definitely haven't listened to it like all the way through. Octung Baby, yeah, like this, there's a reason why it's my number one. It's like it's a perfect album. Like it's like you can sit down and listen to the whole all twelve tracks, like from beginning to end. Oh, all five of mine were are I think are perfect albums. Uh just like everything, every song on it is like fantastic and well done. Um, yeah, they recorded this in, well, they started the recording process, and this is like a tumultuous recording process. This album almost broke up U2, which I'm sure in hindsight, like, a lot of people now would be like, good, I hope it had happened. We wouldn't have got this album, fuckers, so shut up and die. Um, wow, passion. Yeah, this album, yeah, I love this record. Um, it's probably the darkest, like, thematically of U2's discography. Um, like, everybody, you've all heard one. It's like, has become kind of like an AIDS anthem at this point. Um None of the songs have any kind of particular, like, there's not a lot of light at the end of the tunnel in Octung Baby at this point. The band was, like, at their lowest point. Uh, the Edge, the guitar player, had just gone through what was uh, a, a totally devastating divorce. Uh, Bono wasn't doing great within his relationship. Um, they had started to veer into weird um, electronic experiments and stuff like that, thereby alienating Larry Mullen Jr., the drummer, because a lot of the basis for dance music is a drum machine, not a guy behind a kit. So like it took them a while to get, and they'd done a weird thing and gone to Berlin to record, like at least do the, the demoing for the album. 
uh, just as the wall was coming down, or just post-wall coming down. So Berlin was in a weird space, which I guess kind of reflects on the album. It's a very, it's a dark, kind of weird feeling that permeates the whole thing. Um, Shit, and it's produced by Brian Eno and... Brian Daniel Eno Lenoir. and Danielle Lenoir, yeah. Wow. That, that's a fucking crazy duo. Uh, it's also, they actually are the duo that do most of U2's big albums. So mm-hmm. like they did uh, The Unforgettable Fire with U2, and they also did The Joshua Tree. And they then kind of disappeared after Octung Baby. Brian Eno probably did some stuff on Suropa, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they didn't really do anything with them again, like as a duo, like Daniel Lanois and uh, Brian Eno, until mm-hmm. All That You Can't Leave Behind in 2001, which is kind of U2's like resurgency record. Um, I don't think they've done anything with them since. Maybe No Line on Horizon was these two guys, or at least Daniel Lanois, I'm not sure. Daniel Lanois, you guys should be proud, he's a Hamilton boy. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, super talented songwriter too, in his own right. Uh, Brian Eno, obviously too, like massively yeah. influential like <laughs> uh, artist. Um, this album though, like I'm trying to think, they won Grammys for this record. The tour for this album was like one of the biggest productions of all time up till that point. Uh, if you ever get a chance to watch uh, live in Sydney, the it's kind of like a it's like a full concert. Yeah, it's uh, this album like totally speaks to me. On like all those levels, it's uh, if I'm gonna brood in a dark room, 95% of the time I'm putting this album on first, and I'll just <laughs> let the rest of them come on after. This is the album, um, yeah. So you've probably heard half the stuff that's on this, though. Come on, Tim, like Mysterious Ways. Yeah, I, I've heard probably half of it at least. There's but there's some tracks that uh, that I definitely yeah, I'm I, they might be songs that again, if I heard them played, I would recognize them, but I don't know them by name, yeah. Um, there's still stuff like that like most of this album is makes up like their primary like live set to this day like you'll still hear um like mysterious ways gets played on every night one gets played every night um they bring back even better than the real thing uh i don't i've never seen a set list from u2 post this album that doesn't have and this is my song pick uh until the end of the world is the like my favorite song it's actually probably my favorite u2 song of all time mm. Um, one was another uh, amazing um, high school dance song. Yeah. I'm listening to high, it right high now. school slow dance song. <laughs> Are you actually playing one right now? Yeah. Listen, put on until the end of the world. What you song. got? Come to when all you got day. is hurt. Yeah. That's such a good song. Yeah. Carry um, each other. Carry each other. <laughs> and the rest of the episode will just be Chrissy serenading us. Yeah, one more. song from every album that we've <laughs> oh, no. but yeah no this 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 record yeah this is my this is my number one with a bullet this has been my number one album since i like as long as i can remember i uh i have the weird like my favorite band is pearl jam my favorite song is a pearl jam song my favorite album like as a complete piece of work is this album um and that hasn't changed i can't think of a time in the past like 20 years where i would say any other album i think is better than this one so um, as much as much as a, a hard time I had picking, like, oh, am I going to pick Tanner Vitalogy or Yield, or am I going to pick Tool of the Deftones, or am I going to pick Underdogs or Beautiful Midnight, or whatever? I'm going to put it number five because there was about 15 fucking records that were vying for that <laughs> spot. Yeah, um, I knew like right from like when I said like we're going to do top five albums, I knew what my number one was, and it, this one, the other ones might shift and flux a little bit here and there, 
this one will always be the same. Uh, it hasn't changed in decades, and it probably never will. So, yeah, same here. Pinkerton has been at the top of my list like for a long time. Yep, I'm the same way with Spanish Train, but mostly because it's attached to story. Still sounds like a sex thing. <laughs> Do you want to come over in Spanish Train? Want to take a ride on my Spanish train? Oh, the voice is back. I'm happy. <laughs> That's great. Yay, bingo! <laughs> Flail that hair, Tim. That Timona. One inch, one inch of hair. <laughs> Tina. Is that what we should call one, you? One inch of hair sounds like another sex move. <laughs> Come on, my Spanish train. I'll check your one inch of hair. <laughs> oh, God. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so like like we said, this is going to be kind of a series. We're going to keep going through until uh, all of us drop out, probably. But we're gonna, <laughs> we're, we'll probably pick this up going forward. Christy's yeah. looking at me funny. Looking at us funny. What's that face you're making? <laughs> it's Christy doesn't know anything about music. All she knows is musicals. <laughs> well, musicals, you I don't know. Start veering into musicals. You can veer into whatever you want. This is all this is all massively subjective, right? Like we should yeah. probably have like I should have said that at the top. This is obviously like a, a massively subjective list for me. Like I there's no Beatles, there's no Led Zeppelin, there's like I didn't I didn't put Jeff Buckley on this list. Like Yeah. Is um obviously like you most people would argue Joshua Tree is a better U two album. Those people are fucking wrong. But But yeah, I guess I guess the same. You don't see any Sinatra on mine, or like. Um, but Sinatra, yeah. like Sinatra, you can't really point to an album no, for the exactly. most part. Which is why, yeah. like, it's hard with albums. Yeah, he was really before the time that you know people were writing sort of cohesive albums. Yeah. You know, he was writing singles, you know, forty fives, that kind of thing. Beautiful pre-Beatles guys, pre-Beatles, yeah. pre-Beatles um, America. Did you guys notice any sort of common threads or like common? Um, characteristics of the albums that you were looking at uh, as you were going through? Um, aside from the fact that I have a broad knowledge of a very narrow fucking field of rock music. <laughs> um, not really. My, yeah, my, my, it, it, the, the key point, what you can usually pick out in my things, um, and this is something I've noticed about myself going for, going through stuff, is you're always going to have a, a, a good to awesome drummer. Mm-hmm. And you're, and you're gonna have an interesting lead vocalist. Everything yeah. else, I don't like guitar stuff. I don't like. I mean, yeah, you can argue about like Mike McCready or Slash being like amazing guitarists or whatever, or like even the Edge is pretty definitive in terms of like being a guitarist, but like in his own style, like he has his own thing. But like you know the Edge when he's playing. But like stuff that I listen to is always gonna have a really good drummer and it's gonna have a really good lead singer because that's what I kind of listen to. Yeah. Um, those are the two instruments that I have dabbled in, like vocals and drums. Also, nothing later than like 2000. <laughs> um, I think mine would be, I really appreciate interesting vocals, um, story, and um, I really love the acoustic-y kind of relaxed sound. Something you can really just chill out to. It doesn't pump you up too much because that's musicals pump me up but like um yeah. if I'm you listening... are you are not gonna like any of the albums that i named then <laughs> no I, I do like to be pumped up but like i, I like to be in the headspace for it mm. yeah um, well, that's just like gotta my... be in yeah i've got lots of music where i need to be in the mood to kind of yeah. listen to it yeah but i feel like i can turn these on whenever like when i'm cruising in my car when i'm just 
you know, hanging out around the apartment, if I'm going on a walk, these are albums I can just put on to feel at ease. Yeah. Yeah, these albums are very much home to me. Like, I will never... um, I can never, like, any of you pick any of these five albums and probably... Like the next ten that are on that are going to be on my list too. You can put any of them on at any time, and I'm gonna be like, "Yeah, no, I'm good. Just play it. Yeah. Just let yeah. it go. Let it go. <laughs> See, good. I would, I would do this. Stop fucking with it. Stop yeah. playing with it. Start to finish. Yeah. yeah. Start to mine, finish. Mine, mine are also attached to moments in my life. I don't know mm-hmm. if like they're my favorites because they're great bands, or I can't. I don't know if I can differentiate because they're great bands or because I've had great memories. That's a lot of mine too. Well, that's definitely how I can justify. Like I can justify having a Matthew Goodband album in my top five because like that album, like I don't know, totally like, defines like a rather large portion of like my late adolescence. So yeah. What about you, Tim? Yeah, for me, I, similar. Like all of mine, I have like I can very concretely link to certain parts of my life and either like relationships or like self realizations kind of thing. Um, they all. I would say that that uh, the vocals for me are the biggest thing because all of my albums have even even the Daft Punk like the vocals on a lot of those songs like the uh, the Julian Casablancas track and the uh, Panda Bear track and the Paul Williams track have really strong vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, all of the albums that I have fully explore sort of the dynamic range and they're really well structured albums. So like they take you on a roller coaster, like they'll, they'll start at sort of a, you know, medium pace or, or they're, they're just, they're, they're just well paced albums. So yeah. Medium pace is a tenacious D song. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, that, that's you what almost made it onto my top five actually. Was- <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what's that fucking song? Um, Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Fuck you gently. Gently. No. I want to scream. <laughs> That's a pretty, yeah, that is a pretty amazing need. album, too. Double team. <laughs> yeah. I fucking love double team. Did you know all the drums on that album? Dave Grohl. Oh, wow. Yeah, Dave he Grohl loves, the drums. they work together a lot. Yeah, they're good. They're, wow. they're all good friends, yeah. He was um, in. He was the devil in uh, the Tenacious D movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's great. No, I yeah. just <laughs> we were the only three people. In, we were the only three people who saw that movie. It did so well. <laughs> um, but no, I just mean that that like they they uh, they're they're paced well. Uh, so they'll have like real like burners and then like slower tracks that just sort of let you get catch your breath kind of thing. Um, and they really sort of you know it's a roller coaster it's not just you know a single pace through the whole album kind of thing um yeah and and all of them have at least a couple tracks where i can just sort of like close my eyes and like have some like real catharsis or nostalgia to them that's why i love death cab yeah and they're all albums where i don't think there's a single track that's really like throwaway um like every track adds something to the album Mm. agreed yeah, that's that's where I started like picking off stuff. I'd be like, mm, yeah, but that's got like two songs on it that I'm like, meh. Yeah, like whereas these ones don't, so they get moved up into that like more. Yeah. That's that was my like early on as I'm eliminating albums. It was definitely like a way I did it. I'm like, ah, that that's got like two songs on it that I don't like. So yeah, absolutely. Know. Like it'll show up later because it's an amazing album, but it's still it's like it's not Appetite for Destruction, which is like a flawless hard rock album from beginning to end or whatever. Yeah. See, I feel different because like I I very rarely listen to whole albums. That's because you're a millennial. It's the generation gap coming in again. We were the last. We were probably the last age group that like grew up with albums as a thing. So. Yeah, they're they're still 
a couple artists out there that are still doing albums, but it's it's the absolutely the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, they're called Radiohead. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard that one yet? Not not the whole thing, I don't think. God damn it, Tim. It's been up like a year. I know. I'm behind. No, not a year. It came out like in the spring. came out in May. Yeah. I remember because I was on my way to see the, my first of three Pearl Jam shows when it like hit the net. Yeah. And I downloaded it on my data <laughs> as I was driving to Ottawa. And then my sister almost fell asleep and crashed the car. <laughs> good times. Yeah, it was good times. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, we're, we've been talking forever. Let's, uh, let's call this one a night. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, us nerd out about albums. We will continue to do this uh, as we go along. We're all big music fans, so I can't see this not coming up a million times. <laughs> um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, which is also where you can go and buy all these albums if you really want to. Um, or Stitcher or on the Google Play Store. Um, give us a like on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast or send us an email at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you haven't had enough of us yet either, uh, Christy and I did a guest spot on Geeks with Kids this week. Uh, if you made it into our probably two hour plus podcast this week and you're not <laughs> sick of hearing Christy and I bullshit, um, we don't swear as much, or at least I'll be beeped. But we are over on Geeks with Kids this week. In theory, yeah. We'll see how Spears edits us. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also on it the week before. Yeah, that's right. Christy was on last week too. You never know. They, they were looking for guests. They were they were looking for guests for next week. I think so. I think I threw my hat in the ring. Maybe we'll get Tim on this week. We'll see. <laughs> we'll just take over Geeks with Kids slowly but surely. Yeah, just annex it. Annex it. This will be like our non-swearing <laughs> podcast, guys. We're gonna have to play it straight. <laughs> I don't think you could do that. No, I don't think I could, yeah. actually. Tim and I could. Mm. Tim has a hard time, too. Yeah. Yeah, but he's more wholesome than you are. <laughs> That's Come on. It's because I grew up listening to Appetite for Destruction, guys. Uh. It's, it's, Axel, it's <laughs> Axel's fault. The Axel's influence. Yeah. It's Axel's fault. Listen Axel to made the, me the, listening to that devil music. Yeah. Axel made me the way I am. Axel and, uh, yeah, I guess, whatever. Eddie Vedder. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, guys, say goodnight. Good night. Good night. Right, have a good one. Good tunes. <laughs>